Hello, everyone. Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on May the 27th of 2020. And manga talk yeah. cap of re weekly. That is the show name. I've just decided it. The acronym is much more difficult to remember, but that is what I have decreed. And uh, it will remain as such until I forget what it was, which is literally right now. Okay. So. All right. Well, you know what? Hey, you got to have those different, like, you know, like when you look at like a, like a football team's logo history, there's usually like, it's like one year <laughs> where it changed <laughs> to something radically different. And then it's very, very quickly went back to the old one. And they're like, no, oh, this is an awful idea. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it got us in the news and then no one bought the merch. <laughs> I, I, what I assume the, the Los Angeles Rams logo is going to be this season where they're like, man, that was, I don't know why we made that one. I don't even remember any like like the most drastic thing change. I always remember when like the bird logos change in the NFL and there was a period in the 2000s where they just all got meaner. Like like the Falcons logo had angry eyebrows. The Seahawks logo had angry eyebrows. The Cardinals logo had angry eyebrows. And that's what they all have. They got angry eyebrows. They have to be tough birds because what nice bird would play football? Uh, What all bird teams are there besides those? There's the Eagles. Eagles. Is that it? Is there only four bird teams? I thought there were more. Uh, hold on, wait. I think if I go to Reddit, <laughs> bird Falcons, teams, Seahawks, Cardinals, Eagles. Uh, no, there's one more. It seems, but I'm trying to get the oh, Ravens. Ravens, right? Yeah. Well, the Ravens one already looked mean, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there's came into it mean, yeah. Yeah. So. I don't know. I guess that's how you make a team modern. Is you just have it's like you know we need more lines. And we need and we need darker colors and we mm. need more meanness. Yep. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's what you do. And then there are teams that are just like, you know, they're going to just forget about this entire era, except when it becomes charming. I remember when they like when like the Buccaneers were like, sure, we'll, we'll play on our creamsicle jerseys a little bit again. Why not? And it's like, mm, I don't know if you should have done that. <laughs> I mean, a lot of them are fun for like the one game. Every time the the Steelers trot out the bumblebee stripe uniforms, you're like, all right. <laughs> Literally anything the Steelers ever do ever in history just makes me go, those fucking assholes. <laughs> meanwhile, I hate, hate that team so much. <laughs> meanwhile, I feel like you, you would literally need to threaten uh john mara's family to get them to do anything with the giants uniforms they like the uh, giants fans have been begging like come on like put some more red into it something although if we get the old school giants logo Mm -hmm. on the helmet i would in a heartbeat honestly like i mean i understand you know it looks like sleeker and stuff like that but i think that the big issue is that like you couldn't just do a capital n capital y because like every new york team does that so they're like we'll do the lowercase and it's like, yeah, but it looks so much less bold and powerful than the big old giants. Yeah. Yeah. It is what it is. Anyway, I show 21 this week. <laughs> oh, man. I'd so I'd be so happy. <laughs> it, it's weird because like the best chapters this week were very sad. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess we'll get into it. We have. My Hero Academia to start things off, 
It's chapter number 272. Good morning! Oh, what a cheerful-sounding chapter title. I'm sure nothing awful happened in this at all whatsoever. <laughs> no, nothing, nothing at all. Last time, Shigaraki woke up and Deku seemingly sensed it. And we actually get a little bit more insight into how the fuck he did that at the beginning of this chapter as we see the students who are in charge of evacuating along with, you know, all of the heroes who, who are looking after them and stuff, including Endeavor's sidekick, Burnin. And uh, there, there's a couple of cute little things here and there. Like uh, we see, you know, Ida assuring some random writers, like, I'll make sure that your manuscript isn't destroyed, sir. And and Coda is making sure all the pets uh, get out uh, safely and stuff like that. So they're doing their jobs and they're being and they're and they're doing a good job. But all of a sudden, Deku has stopped because he has sensed he's coming. And he actually heard the voice of the first possessor of one for all. Uh, So. I guess that's there is some connection between the quirks that allows him to sense this, basically. He's just stopped in the middle of the road uh, in shock as he has heard about this. And he kind of turns toward the mountains, towards the hospital where the battle is taking place. As the first holder tells him, the blowback will soon be here. We don't have long to speak. Freed from the shackles of humanity, his power now swells. A transcendent one is coming. Cut over to Shigaraki, who last time kind of pelvic thrusted himself into awakeness. <laughs> right next to the most powerful new hero who will save the day wherever he is needed. Exless. I'm really excited for like a big Exless series oh, after absolutely. this. Like I'm really I want to see his, his adventures. I want to see like the detective agency he sets up. Because here's the thing. Exless has not just a cool power. But also one of the sharpest minds in the My Hero Academia cinematic universe. So I, I think the issue the image, with the, the, the <laughs> exactly, and the issue I have with the way Exus has been portrayed so far is they never really get across that he's the world's greatest detective, and he should be solving crimes more than he should just be beating up bad guys. So I, right. the cartoon series did a great job at that. And I think they really need to show that a bit more, that he's a mind more than a body. So as we have Exilus sitting next to this newly awakened Shigaraki, looks over and presumably thinks to himself, what's going on? And Shigaraki just says, I'm cold. Which I understand. You know, when you get a little chilly, you're just like, fuck, man, why is it so cold? It's annoying. Well, he was suspended in a tank of water, so he's all wet. He's going to catch a cold. Give, give him your cape, Exilus. Come on. It's May, and it was That's how you know it, it's not very... the real Exilus. Yeah. You know, the real Exilus would have, you know, dropped the pretense of being all dark and brooding and stuff and been a hero once in a while. It my, my, my favorite Exilus in the animated series episode is the one with a clown girl, where at the end he gives her a dress and he's like, look, everybody has a bad day. Because that shows. That he's not, he wants to help these people. The ones that can be helped, he's there to help them. And he's not about going after criminals just because they're bad. He actually is trying to rehabilitate and help people. And that's a very important part of the Exos character. 
Yeah, it's just like how, you know, one of the most iconic crust moments uh-huh. isn't him punching a guy. It's when he flew up onto that building to where that girl was about to jump off and he just yes. comforted her and say and, you know, talked her down. And by just showing her that's like, you know, there are people who care about you. That's the real crust that we need in our lives, not just some guy who punches things and throws shields or whatever, however many powers he has. <laughs> yeah. And and I think one of the, my favorite things, Bubble Girl, uh, my favorite episode <laughs> Is where all the rest of the heroes are stopping this big disaster, and they they stick her on crowd control duty, and she came from the future, so she she feels slighted. She feels like she's not getting any of the right attention, but she decides she's going to stick with it, and she basically uncovers a much larger plot and saves everybody, but still doesn't get the respect from the larger world, but gains the respect of themselves. And that's yeah. the important part. Like, that's the lesson to learn. You should just do a spinoff <laughs> to DCAU parody. <laughs> Fuck. Did, did I unplug my mic? Yeah, a little bit there. Way good. Okay. All right. Okay. So we cut over to elsewhere in the underground facility present mike is getting uh ujiko out of the tunnels while endeavor and ryukyu and, and gran torino and the other heroes are handling the high end nomu but suddenly they look back down the hallway and there are cracks spreading through the ground and through the walls and across the ceiling leaving dust in its wake as shigaraki's power spreads all through the building and President Mike kind of freezes up as Ujiko, look, Ujiko looks down at the spreading destruction in glee. And fortunately, Gran Torino leaps into action and jets over to them, grabs President Mike and starts carrying them away as he has immediately realized what's going on. And he realizes that Shigaraki's decay is spreading even to things he hasn't touched. And so he shouts out to every, all of the heroes there, leave now and don't touch the cracks unless you want to wind up dead. And so they all start booking it as Deku looks off in the distance uh, towards the hospital and, and his classmates start to look over, too, as they presumably feel and hear the destruction spreading. And also there's a little shot of, like, birds flying up away from the hospital. And uh, there are several pages in a row of just them trying to outrun the wave of destruction, uh, the heroes there. And there's a brief moment where Aizawa... Uh, is running on his feet and Ryukyu, who is flying with like 12 heroes in her grip and on her back and on her wings, just shouts over to him, hey, get on. And Aizawa tries to reach out with his capture scarf to catch hold of her. But one of the high end Nomu, as it's crumbling to just just behind him, snags at his leg. But then a shield cuts his arm off. And Aizawa looks back and the world's number five, six, he five. One of the world's greatest heroes, Crust, has just saved his life, Chris. He chopped off the Nomu's arm, even as his body was crumbling to dust. And in his last moments, he just gives Aizawa a big, confident thumbs up. I wish, like, this last moment had been, like, him doing the thumbs up. And he's like, I wish I'd gotten to tell you about my, my fun character quirks and backstory. <laughs> he just announces all at once. He's <laughs> Done this to my gay lover and 16 children! <laughs> like, send them the message! Like, oh, wow, you're so interesting. 
It's re- I think that the preceding sequence is really cool. Everyone just running away and, and you know, those who aren't fast enough being carried by those who can who are fast enough. Uh, I think it's all really cool. But I do kind of wish that instead we had gotten just this shot of crust waking up in a white void, sitting up, looking around, seeing that he's he's passed on and he's worried because, you know, he was a hero and he. There were so many pe- things that he could still have done as a hero. But then he, a hand falls on his shoulder and he looks up and Sasakibe is there. <laughs> and Sasakibe just smiles down at him, pulls him to his feet and they walk off together. <laughs> <laughs> Into the halls of those who are honored for doing nothing. <laughs> I get my mind... I- <laughs> I just want to be like, it's like that meme where it's like, uh, someone's like, like they got into heaven. They're like, was I a good something, something? And they're like, no, I was told you were the best. And I want that to be a thing. Like, is this where the good heroes go? No, this is where the eh ones go. (laughs) 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 And it's called Mephen. <laughs> like, it's not a bad place, but it's just... they start to pass through the gates. They're not pearly white, but they're also not you know gates of hell or anything. They're just kind of you know metal gates. And yeah, they're actually they're made of wood. They're wooden gates, <laughs> but there's also a placard overhead that just says we were there too. <laughs> <laughs> like like you see like it's basically just a downgraded version of heaven. So like you see like like a delivery truck going up there, and it's got like Pepsi and Coke, and they're like. No, no, that's going straight to heaven. Mevin gets like RC Duck and diet. <laughs> yeah, like Shasta Cola. Like, oh. I mean, I guess it's soda, but. It's diet caffeine free uh, store brand soda. <laughs> He's like, I guess it is. It's still free, right? They're like, it's, yeah. it's still it's got it's carbonated, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's rarely warm. Sometimes it will be warm. <laughs> Mevin's not perfect, <laughs> but then again, neither were we. Okay, so people rush away from the wave of destruction. We see, uh, you know, some more heroes crumbling to dust in its wake. Uh, we see uh, Washer. Um, I think summoning bubbles to try and get some of the hospital patients to safety. So that's a cool little touch. Um, and then we cut to the wild, wild pussycats and pixie Bob turns to face the way of destruction. And for a moment, I was just like, what the fuck is she doing? <laughs> what does she think she's going to accomplish? But then she casts up a wave of earth and I'm like, all right, that was her powers. <laughs> Uh, and the wave of Earth blasts against the wave of destruction, and you don't really see what the result of the clashing quirks is. Uh, in fact, a lot of stuff is left uh, unsaid in this brief moment. You don't know who the hell got out of the hospital, who actually escaped from the building safely. Um, for all we know, literally every single hero that was anywhere near that building is dead. Uh, but... Um, Presumably, we will find out uh, in, in following chapters. Yeah, there is, for example, a moment where Burnin tries to get in touch with Endeavor, and there's no response. Uh, but I highly doubt that every single one of those characters is just dead. Um, but there's probably going to be some heavy casualties as a result of this. Meanwhile, as the last bit of the wave of destruction uh, is 
fading away, I guess. They might still be going for all we know. Uh, Ujigo says, you know, all your work in progress was building toward this today. But now we witness a miracle or something even greater. Plus Ultra, Shigaraki has awakened and all that you hear is have built he will undo upon waking. Victory is ours. Also, Ujiko is saying this, so presumably he and President Mike and everyone that were being and uh, Grand Torino were alive. So, yeah, I, I, I'd assume the major characters survived. Right. So probably Grand Torino, Endeavor, uh, Mirko, because Endeavor was carrying her, Aizawa, and thus everyone that Ryukyu was carrying. And Exilus, but... he summoned a laser <laughs> eye shield around. He was at Ground Zero, but I believe he summoned a laser eye shield around yeah, himself. Did, that is one of his powers. He pulled a chica and just yeah. <laughs> so one of the, the reason why is because we need him. They still haven't gotten to the episode uh, where he teams up with uh, who do you team? He needs to team up with Mirko because Mirko's she's an atheist. She doesn't believe in God. Uh, but this is all basically a giant elaborate reference to the Defenders series. But she she has to team up with Grand Orca, and they have to they have to they they have to do this big event. And at the end of it, Gang Orca is dying, and Gang Orca has been doing everything because he believes he, he's kind of turned over New Leaf because he believes he's going to get a, his 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 rewards, his just rewards at the result of this. And as he's dying, he's like. Gang worker get just resorts now, and that's a question of faith, of 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 religion, of spirituality, and and Mirko doesn't have any of that, so she she's hesitant. But as she looks at Gang Orca's weak eyes, as he's sorry, like, oh. you've been tricked by too many Justice League <laughs> references. Alarm! Oh no! <laughs> anyway, he gets his just rewards and dies. Ah. <laughs> uh. Well, there's a brief little moment at the end of the of the uh, of the chapter where um, Deku blasts an airwave with his uh, full cowling uh, to try and counteract the wave. But uh, Bakugo seems to think that it's still coming towards them. So uh, presumably, um, literally everyone who was in this town is going to have to fucking book it or else they're going to crumble to dust. So, yeah. All right. We are going to move on from here, not to another chapter, Chris, but to one shot. What? That's right. Just when you got used to there not being any any more Shokugeki no Soma chapters to disappoint you. uh, Oh, is there a sixth epilogue chapter to talk about? Yeah, this one uh, talks about how uh, Takumi and his brother uh, didn't actually like each other the whole time. (laughs) I forget, someone... Someone showed me something from the anime where you got to see, like, the blue placement testing results or something like that. So you basically got to see, like, the characters from uh, the Academy that tried to get in. Totsuki, you tried to get into the blue. And obviously we know the characters actually did. Right. Takumi, uh, but, Megami, and Soma, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. But apparently, I guess, the fourth Aldini brother was the, like, runner up to that. Like, he got the higher rank over everyone else. You're like, What? What like a there weird move. Several other members who were actually in the Council of Ten, but whatever. <laughs> All right. So, the team behind Shokuyaki no Soma, uh, Sukuru Yuto and Shunseiki, have uh, done this one shot called Yugen's All Girls Homeroom, which is the most blatant 
pilot that I think that I've ever seen. Uh, the premise of it is pretty straightforward. Uh, people get possessed by spirits and it makes them creepy and weird and they act all depressed before it manifests into a, into a hideous monster. And so our hero, Yugen, uh, is a spirit medium slash feng shui expert slash many other, you know, mumbo jumbo kind of professions. Uh, and he is brought into this school to investigate the case of this one girl who attends the school. It's this very prestigious all-girls school, and uh, she has uh, stopped attending class uh, recently. Uh, so Yugen uh, goes to investigate this. He's also accompanied by a, a young teacher at the school named Mishiro Sato, and uh, she's just like, this guy is clearly a pervert. He keeps on hitting on like literally every woman that he meets. And I don't know if it's a good idea for him to be at this very prestigious all girls school with, you know, young, impressionable ladies around him. And he's undeterred by this. They go and visit the girl. She's depressed. There's like this weird aura surrounding her. And Yugen does reveal that uh, he you know, knows his stuff. Um, you know, he stops the... Sato from touching the girl because the aura surrounding her is at this point like actually harmful and deadly. Um, they, uh, you can basically just tell her parents, yeah, just give her space because you know, it's important not to put pressure on a young person when they're in this kind of situation. So they take their leave and Mishira is like, what, what are we, what are we doing? And, uh, he's like, look, you know, Minori saw with a girl, she's going through some sort of trouble. So you got to show me where else she spent her time because I got to, you know, figure out more about what's going on here. And uh, Sato, like, you know, has like her diary and stuff so they can look more into it. Uh, they end up going back to the school eventually. And uh, Sato overhears some of the other teachers saying like, oh, we'll just, you know, put her on like an extended leave of absence because, you know, we've got to think of the reputation of the school. We can't have her, you know. Uh, screwing us up. We can't have it seem like, you know, it's because of the school that she ended up this way. And it really shakes her because she had really wanted to work at the school. She thought it was very prestigious and it was really good for the for the students who attended it. And now she's thinking like, oh, this is like the true face of this academy. This is what the staff is really like. They don't actually care about the well-being of the students. They just care about their reputation and making money and all that. But Yugen is like, Eh, don't be so hard on them. Uh, it, there's like an evil spirit at work here and they are clearly unprepared for that. So don't worry about that. And also he says like, look, I mean, I know that it meant a lot to you to work here. So, you know, just because you, you know, you are worried about this dude, don't, don't speak ill of the place that you belong. Basically. It's kind of a thing that I have mixed feelings about because on the one hand, I see where he's coming from. Like, Hey, everyone's going through a stressful time. Go easy on them. Go easy on yourself. But at the same time, he's really like removing any culpability from an organization that, yeah, would be largely responsible for what has happened to this girl because they didn't they allowed her to get into the state where she was so depressed the spirit could influence her, whatever. So uh, he drives off somewhere and uh Sato sticks around and she happens to come across uh, Midorisawa's shoe locker 
and there's a crumbled up page from her diary in it. And it's, you know, a very depressing message. Oh, I, I don't like dealing with people. It sucks. And more text appears on it where it reads, I'm sick of this. Why is it always me? I want to quit. I want to quit. And then it just reads at the end. You saw. And uh, at that moment, Sato gets a call from Midori Sawa's parents saying, oh, you've got to help. We heard a strange noise and she's vanished. What do we call the police? But, but Sato looks over and there's a creepy monster thing in the shadows. And it's very, very weird looking. It's it's, you know, got the kind of like classic Japanese evil spirit girl thing with the long scraggly mm. hair and stuff. But like coming out of its back there's like this almost flower uh there's this pod in the center of his body and it's it's almost like its body has split open uh in the middle to allow for this pod to be there and also it has like six arms and six legs and the legs form a weird like flower cluster so the spirit shambles towards sato but oh you yugen dives through the window in like a very odd pose in midair i did he did he crash through the window head first yeah he just slammed his head through there you know it's very majestic after the moment in the moment right. awful just like why did i do that why did i do that <laughs> uh yugen starts fighting uh the spirit and uh he's like oh my gosh she's beautiful midori Sao, you look spectacular and Sato's like what the fuck are you talking about and Yugen's like oh right normal humans can't see the inside her body may have turned into a haunt but her spirit that's begun to shine with a glorious light and we see that inside of the pod in the creature's belly is like this kind of spectrally glowing um, midori sawa and so Yugen fights the 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 demon thing. He does a lot of typical exorcism things. It does look kind of cool at certain points. I like when he yeah. summons his Shikigami thing and uh, claws open the pod so he can actually expose uh, Midorisawa's spirit. And that's when we, we get the whole, oh right, the team who did Food Wars did this because the girl's mostly naked uh, when uh, he takes her out and he's like ah nameless haunt you must pass on that is your punishment for touching this young lady before i had any chance to meet her and of course minara saw immediately faints afterwards and then we cut ahead to two days later and sato is greeted once more by yugen and then midori sawa shows up and she's attending class again she's recovered and she says hey uh Mr. Yugen, I wanted to show you something. Look, I'm wearing socks that have a little pattern on them. They, you know, the rules say that we should only have solid socks, but I'm technically breaking the rules a little bit. But anyway, I saw them a few months ago, and I thought they were cute, and I wanted them, but I couldn't find the courage to do it, at least not until today. Do you, do you think they look odd? And Yugen's like, well, I know nothing about clothing, because a running gag through the chapter has been that he just buys whatever, like, some the guy at this store tells him to buy. And then where is that? But I think they look good on you because the shine of your spirit has grown brighter. And that's and that's proof that it's good. So she's like, yay. Uh, and uh, she leaves. But before she does, she says, oh, you don't need to be so formal with me. You can call me by my first name if you like. And she blushes and then runs away. And Yugen's like, uh, I, I should I, I should note her down as a potential bride. And Sato's like, what the fuck? Uh, but then in the last minute twist at, at the end of the chapter, it turns out that there that there is an entire class 
that has failed to come to school because there is bad feng shui in this place and evil spirits and all that stuff. So Yugen is hired on the spot as a temporary teacher, the temporary homeroom teacher of, of this class and is tasked with exercising all the spirits so that they will all attend and stuff like that. And uh, he says to himself as like a bunch of evil spirits loom over the class. I can't wait to see just how beautiful you all are. So there's a whole thing going on in this where Yugen's big thing is that he sees the beauty within people. So, you know, he doesn't care about how people physically look. Uh, and so when they're turned into hideous monsters, he can still see the good spirit dwelling beneath all of that. He wants to help that. And that's all well and good. It's still really weird to have a teacher coming in explicitly saying, I want to find like my bride at this high school. And uh, yeah, I mean, like it's kind of a thing where like Onizuka did that a bit, but he was a always the butt of the joke and B tended to be pushed more towards, you know, like actually of age people. So I don't know. This is this is weird. And it's like I feel like I would be more OK with this if it didn't have that kind of angle going for it. Regardless of that, it's also another uh spirit exorcism series again if it's going to become a series i mean it looks nice because shinseki's art is really good as always and i think that that's an important thing that'll separate it from you know stuff like you know bone collection which looks ugly as sin uh but i don't know i that's it all there's there's a level where it's like okay the the cheesecake at food wars was a bit more acceptable because it was usually it was usually almost to the point of parody how shameless yeah. it was. There was kind of a laugh that came along with it at points. And I think this doesn't have that. It's just like, no, girls are naked inside the monster they become. Like, all right. Uh and then yeah, it's it's, you know, these these are adults then watch it, which kind of adds a level. Um the very like the very twist at the end where it's like oh you've got to rescue the entire classroom, uh, you know I, I I did enjoy that plot when I first enjoyed it in Jumpstart Adventures Fourth Grade Haunted Island. I thought it was really effective there where you had to save all the classroom kids from being monsters. That was great. I don't know if I'm ready to enjoy it again, but um, if this this is just the one shot. This isn't like a hey this is a new series in Jump. There's no chapter two, but it could come out as something down the line. So I, I guess I'll have to wait and see maybe down the line, maybe there'll be some feedback that'll change some things in it and make it more acceptable. Cause I, you know, as you mentioned, the artist is, is incredible and I'm not abjectly against the premise. It's just, you get tired of exorcism series in mm. jump after a <laughs> while. So I think that if it, I mean, like, even purely on the grounds of like, oh, hey, the guys who do Food Wars are going to do an exorcism series. And it's like, oh, you know, so then there will be like an exorcism. And afterwards, like the girl will, will feel so good about being free that she'll have like an orgasm or all her, all her clothes fly off. And there will be some really weird way of, you know, doing the fan service. Yeah, sure. You know, whatever. But then adding the angle of like, you know, the age difference thing and the fact that it's not just that he's doing the exorcism. He flat out is you know, doing this and he's like, oh yeah, one of these girls could potentially be my bride. And he is exploiting his stance as a teacher to do that. That's fucking weird. So 
Do you remember the series? I think it was called Lock On, about the guy with yes. the camera. Yes. That had a very similar kind of thing where it started as a one shot, then eventually mm-hmm. was remade into a full series of jump. I mean, it got canceled after like 18 chapters or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. But that's something where I think that's kind of where in my mind I'm thinking a little bit this is going to go where I, I feel like inevitably we're going to see this as yeah. a, a, a like a jump start or whatever you want to call it. But I think. This was an opportunity to change it because some stuff did change from Lock-On's initial one-shot to the actual premise of the series itself. So I, I feel like that's what we're going to get. And my 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 optimism is saying maybe some of the stuff I really didn't like about this will change. Maybe you make the kid uh, like a student at another school who's like, ah, I'm going to be the, the one male student at this all-female school or, you know, whatever. So... Or even like he'll be teaching like explicitly college girls, even. <laughs> or you're just very. Don't get me wrong. A teacher exploiting his stance as a teacher in order to pick up dates with students is still morally wrong. But if they're of age, then it's less creepy. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of things they could change that could make it better. But I, I, um, I'm going to be cautiously optimistic and wait to see what it looks like. When we see it in a proper jumpstart form, I'm sure that we'll probably see it. I, I, I get the impression that this is probably going to be the thing that Sukuda and say try to pitch to jump as an actual series. Yeah. And I mean, because the artwork alone, I think, is enough to grab people's attention and make them go, oh, sure, I'd like to see more. So. All right. So moving to acted chapter 113, Ultimate Actor's Dream. Speaking of weird <laughs> age difference, romantic plot. So I want to get this straight right off the bat. This is not about K. So does she or does she not have a crush on Kuroyama? But it's still weird. <laughs> so this is primarily about K wondering more about what Kuroyama is actually like. And being in denial of the fact that she kind of likes him in a way that actors and directors with a close relationship like each other. But that is kind of equated in several instances in this chapter to people being in love romantically. Uh, When that is specifically brought up, Kay looks at the people who bring it up and is like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's gross. But it's still weird that they're like, well, yeah, but, you know, they love each other. Look, all the stuff that we've seen, you know, like in Hollywood lately of like, you know, directors and producers and et cetera, who have exploited their position of power over a young up and coming actress in order to get what they want out of them or else they'll sabotage their careers. Makes me not want to ever think about anything in that regard of an older director having any kind of intimate. And I don't mean like intimate touchy-touchy, I mean intimate, close relationship with an actor who is young and knew the business. Stay away from that. Stay far away from that. Don't even te- don't even make fun of the idea. Just don't talk about it at all. Please. So yeah. That's that's what yeah. the, the that's what the like the running thing through this chapter is. 
There is other stuff going on, like uh, Kay is trying to find like some of Kuriyama's movies so that she can watch them and get a feel for his kind of work. And uh, she can't find any in the video store that uh, they go to. And so they're like, huh, okay, hey, let's go ask this employee. And they're like, hey, do you have any movies by Sumiji Kuroyama? And he's like, oh, Kuroyama, the director? Uh, yeah, I, I know them. And uh, we don't have any. And like every, he, basically everywhere they go to, people are like, oh, yeah, I saw Kuroyama's films a long time ago in a small theater. So they basically can't like find any evidence of his work anywhere, basically. How much, how old is Kuriyama supposed to be? 30s, I guess. 35? I guess he could be like 20 years. Because in my mind, when they're like, a long time, like, it's not like you're like, oh yeah, Martin Scorsese's films from like, I don't know, like the 80s or something. Like, yeah, those are some old ones or something like that. It's not like the dude's like 70 or 60 or something like that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe these like video store employees are like all in their mid twenties, and so you know, like ten years ago to them is like, oh, it's forever ago, so. yeah. dude. That was like a decade ago. If it didn't have an Avenger and Infinity Stone in it, I didn't even watch that movie. Just a little bit before we started uh, up the call to talk today, I saw some a post on Twitter that someone had replied to, and the prompt was like, "Did anyone have you know ever imagine when they were like a little kid of being a YouTuber?" I'm like. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Being a little kid when YouTubers were a thing, Jesus Christ, I'm old. <laughs> like I was already like 16 when YouTube came around at all. Alone, yeah, I remember being a thing. <laughs> I remember in high school, like going to YouTube, and that's where you you sit there and you're like, "Well, I'm going to wait 40 minutes for this video to buffer." So that I can watch the new episode of this anime. Yeah, I'm going to watch the new Red versus Blue, or I'm going to yeah. watch this this weird internet musical meme or whatever. And I guarantee you that if, if things change back to then, people would realize, like, no, no, YouTube's usability actually is a little bit better now. I mean, every single update, it does get worse, <laughs> but it's better than it was then. Yeah, it, it it's it's been scaled up since then, you know. Oh, uh, there is also a moment where like, Hey, gets kind of defensive over Kuriyama's work because like the guy that they talked to when she asked like, Hey, how was that movie? He's like, I didn't really get it. And so she, you know, was walking off later that night by herself and she's thinking, just why do I feel so annoyed by that, that he didn't get the movie, you know? And uh, she also remembers the conversation she had with Kuriyama like forever ago where he said, in order to make one film, we search for the one in seven billion people. What I want to see is your love. And, you know, she remembers all the, all the little interactions they had where he gave some advice and they, she helped, he, he helped her to take a step forward and stuff. And again, she thinks about that one employee and she's like, what the fuck was his problem? Fuck him. <laughs> but then she like catching herself like, why am I angry about this? Why do I care? I don't care about him, Babaka. So... Then she gets a, a call or a text or something from Kuriyama, meets him uh, in public in, quote unquote, disguise, which is sunglasses and a hat. Clearly, she should just 
gave up on the running everywhere idea, I guess. <laughs> it's well, hey, she she's been watching more movies. She finally saw any Marvel movie where a character needs to hide ever, and all they she do just, is they put a baseball cap on and glasses. No one will find Captain America. Who who it's could not po- like he's who, a giant slab of beef? Yeah, who could <laughs> spot him? Who could spot a six foot five super Adonis walking to the crowd if he has a baseball cap and sunglasses on? Wait, could that be him? No, no, he's making out with an incredibly hot woman that was that he was. <laughs> supposedly spotted with nah, nah i know captain america he would only ever make out with america so. yeah. or people from that one family remember when his love interest was like the daughter of like his actual love interest wasn't that fucking weird anyway that was definitely someone was like you know this is how they do it in the comic book and then the next movie they're like nah you know what <laughs> fuck that <laughs> that sucks he gets his actual happy ending. Fuck you. <laughs> so they talk casually for a little bit. Uh, they're going to uh, the movies or something like that. And, uh, you know, Kay asks him, like, what, you have time to take me to the movies? Kuriyama says, well, it's part of my job. And uh, they also have a conversation about, like, you know, how going to the movies should be special. It's, it's I don't know. It's weird. Anyway. Um, so Kuriyama asks her as she spots the poster for, uh, his, the film that he has just directed, Tampopo, which I'm sure is the only time in this entire episode I'll be saying that word. Uh, and he flat out asks her like, so you haven't seen any of my movies, have you? And he's like, uh, no, come to think of it, I have not. Uh, uh, but I was just thinking of seeing a bunch of movies independent of the ones that you have made. I don't care about you, Babaka. So they go in to watch it. Okay. Chapter end. Chapter it's, chapter it's, over. It's a little bit of an exhausting chapter. You've kind of gotten to one of the big parts. It's it's definitely a very uncomfortable thing to be touched upon the idea of like a director uh actor relationship. Not to say that those can't work out. I mean, there are some relevant ones in Hollywood today that are still, you know, out there. Um, to my knowledge, I think Helena Bottom Carter and Tim Burton are still together. There's nope. things like, oh, they're not? Oh. Nope. Nope, I guess that's never going to work out. It was yep. the entire plot of the movie Marriage Story as well, so <laughs> it's always <laughs> destined to fail. Um, but it's, Also, he's literally twice her age, so. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's a level of it. Um, we, we could definitely explore it, though. You can still tell a story about a confused teenager who has seen someone she really admires in the artistic field she's chosen and has confusion over where her feelings go with that. Um, I try to ignore a little bit of it because when she's just like, Oh, this guy doesn't like, doesn't like this, this movie store clerk doesn't get his movies. It's either because I love him, which is exhausting or it's because she's like, no, I respect his opinion so much. You must be stupid if you don't get it, which is pretentious. So I, I'm trying not to. I'm like, you know what? I was a teenager, too, at one point. I'm sure I had shitty opinions. I know I had shitty opinions that people shouldn't have taken at face value. So it's one of those things where I'm like, all right, I'll digest that. But yeah, I'm not super excited about this direction at all. Because it, 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 the chances it doesn't go into bad territory feel pretty minor like a very low ceiling high floor kind of situation 
I do think that there are little bits of it here and there that indicate it could go in a way that isn't bad. Uh, for example, you know, the fact that she's getting frustrated with herself for feeling this way and she's like, why, why do I care so much? You know, and also there's the, there's the fact that, you know, she's never seen any of this guy's movies, yeah. so she has no idea if his movies are good or not. And I think that there is a level of that she may realize that on. But as we get a bit more into this little uh, story, then hopefully things will turn out to be not as bad as they might very well be. Uh, but and I don't th- I, again, like I said, at the start of this, I don't think that there's any like particular direction that's going to go in uh, right now. But alarms went off when I was reading this the first time. And I was just like, no. So uh, that kind of colored my perception of this. But, you know, when that kind of subject is brought up at all, like, yeah, it's it's an uncomfortable thing. And it's a bad thing. So, yeah. Um, in that way, let's talk about Eden Zero, Nick. Chapter 94, Chris Rutherford. Who's Chris Rutherford, Nick? I've never heard of him before. Literally, I saw the chapter of this and I was like, Chris Rutherford, that name like sounds familiar. And I tried looking it up and I didn't get any results. And I was like, what the fuck? What's Chris Rutherford? And then I find out and I'm like, what the fuck was that? Well, it's weird because in my mind, I mean, isn't Chris Redfield the character from the uh, Resident Evil? Yes. So in my mind, I'm like, is it intended to be a reference? Because it feels the words sound very like they have a very similar mouthfeel. So, but that right. obviously that's translated for different languages. Maybe it's and not Chris. Well, and Chris also was brother to Claire Redfield, I think. Yeah, so. I, I don't want to go out and say that's the connection. It's just that's the first thing my mind came to. Of course, we have to talk about Eden Zero's first page, which is the Pino's analysis. This time about Hermit. Uh, her special thing is Sundar, which she has a foreign, which. Uh, has not really ever been a factor no, in Hermit's really. character. I understand at the very I start. I think Pino's making some of these up. <laughs> I think Pino just has a ridiculously bad judge of character. Like I, I like I want uh like her to do Drac and Joe's one and like his special thing is like cuddliness with animals. He's just like what? Alright. Alright. I sure. also really I also think that the dislikes humans dot 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 but not anymore it's horrendously lazy like just the most just the lazy that makes that entire introductory arc for her like sound like the most asinine fucking cliche thing that you could have given a character trace like she dislikes humans but not anymore it's like yeah. fuck you <laughs> such a bullshit way of describing it you could have instead told me like dislikes being compared to Hatsune Miku and that would have been better <laughs> But I think they want that to be the comparison of the uh, like. It, here is mine. He's like, any day now, they're just gonna start putting Herman in all those video games <laughs> instead of Miku. <laughs> then she's gonna be on, and then and then she's gonna be on David Letterman. <laughs> I don't know how to break this to you, sir. He doesn't have a show anymore. <laughs> no, <laughs> my chance, my one chance. He just lives in two thousand and ten. <laughs> So that's an Miku, you know, <laughs> the internet is all about it right now. <laughs> People can't stop doing it. You like those memes where it's all the drawn faces of characters and they're like LeMay being excited for Hatsune Miku. And he's like, oh, I like those things. It's 2008 all over this place. Playing the impossible game. I got to like level 43. 
Rick rolling each other. Well, that's actually still a thing that goes on occasionally. <laughs> oh boy. So this chapter is here. Um, it starts off with this whole confrontation was about to happen between Jin and the other characters. Basically, everyone who wasn't Hamora and Shiki is basically encountering him. And Wise is like, oh, we all just had to beat you into a listening mood then if you is you wills. And uh, Amira steps in front. And I can't tell if this is like a meta character trait or the more likely option. Hero is so infatuated with how hot and sexy this character's body must look in this cat suit because every shot is framed in just the weirdest way to zoom in on either her butt or her boobs in like increasingly egregious fashion. Um, so she's like, no, you hold on. I, I'm going to tell you guys everything that's going on because I'm a super spy and I've learned everything. So she's like, he's like, do you even know what you're guarding? Jen's like, no, I don't. I'm just a mercenary. What I, I what my employee does is none of my concern. She's like, oh, I wouldn't know about that. Besides, Jin's not your real name. Your real name is Chris Rutherford, brother to clean of the element four. I'm like, all right. Uh, so his real name's Chris Rutherford. I guess we call him Chris now. I'm, I don't know how I'm going to remember that, though. Um, and I'll figure out a memory cue or something. <laughs> so he's like, how did you find that out? She's like, I find everything out because I'm a super genius. Uh, and she basically explains what the machine does. It sucks energy from people. There's like a very long-winded way of explaining. Sabir didn't build it. Draken has had it built. It's been existing since long before any of these characters were even around. And it sucks life force out of people. And there's one shot <laughs> on page, I think, seven, where she says, buy this machine and the energy being used to keep Draken alive. And sometimes when you look at a panel, you have to think to yourself, you're like, oh, I'm like the camera. And it's like maybe in this panel, like, oh, I'm up here in the little top of the, the little corner at the top of the building so I can look over and see everything. And then sometimes Ooh. it's like, oh, I'm right over someone's shoulder so I can see right in front of me. And this one's like, oh, I'm going to be right here underneath her buttocks so I can zoom the entire world from like the landing strip that is her butt quack. <laughs> Just like, what is this? <laughs> At this point, just draw a panel with her butt and sound of, and word bubbles around it. Like, you might as well just do that. Like, as, as the conversation goes on, she just starts striking, like, glamour poses and, and, like, playboy poses and stuff like that. She, like, pulls out a chair and, like, lounges backwards over it. And you see Dracon Joe's evil scheme is to... She's just, like, her legs constantly splaying upwards and downwards. Um, so she also explains, hey, no one's immune to this. The element four having their life force drained too, including cleans. So this is enough to get Chris really upset. Uh, I instantly believe you. And then Wyatt says, wait, so what happens to somebody whose life force has been drained over a long period of time? And she's like, it's shorter lifespan. I've heard the unlucky ones die, which is a weird way to phrase that. But there are a lot of weirdly <laughs> worded things in this chapter. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But Weiss gets very angry and suddenly he runs off and they're like, oh, I'll, we, we'll go handle it. We'll go after him. Uh, 
I don't know why Moscow shouts Moscow Moscow mule. Like he's trying to branch out, Chris. He's trying, I, he's, I guess he's, he's a, yeah, he's an alcoholic now. He's referencing drinks. <laughs> like, <laughs> he he's he got uh, put down for only ever saying Moscow, so now he's saying Moscow and other things. Yeah, he he uses everything. He he'll just reference anything that has Moscow in it. So like, um, or Moscow Mule, the drink. Um, Moscow, Moscow, we study the writer on. You know what? I think that's it. We'll just make a bunch of references to Tetris, and I guess that's it. That's those are the two things that I, as an American, know about Moscow. So, um, basically, you should know more. I feel like I should, but nothing's coming to me. I made a jump start fourth grade haunted island reference earlier this week, earlier this episode. But, yeah, it's my mind stopped. Uh, Amir is like, no, you guys stay back here. We need you to stop the device. And like, wait, can we stop it? They're like, no, there'd be no point in stopping it because he'd still have all the energy. We need to put it in reverse and give people their their energy back very much like mega maid sh- sir she's <laughs> gone from suck to blow <laughs> it's it's one of those things where you're like shoot the giant sky beam if you do that all the enemy forces will be destroyed you're like yeah i guess sure this still just solve every problem so of course hermit's immediately up there and she's like i figured everything out i'm gonna start hacking but you need to destroy the blue terminal over there and uh you know Jin's like oh, i can't like you know, he's kind of like resisting it, but they're My like, "It's a mercenary." Yeah, they're like, "Could you destroy it?" He's like, "I don't know." But sister's like, she pops up on the screen. She's like, "Don't worry, I'll save clean. So help us out." And he's like, oh, "I can't betray, but I always said I'd protect my sister." So he immediately destroys it in one blow. Um, and then yeah, the hermit starts hacking. Let the hacking begin. <laughs> Cut down over to the fight between Shiki and Drak and Joe. Uh, Shiki isn't looking so hot, but his energy levels are rising, so he might be doing overdrive, I believe was the term it was before. Um, he hasn't quite gotten there. He's getting close. But Shiki, or Drak and Joe, rather, just grabs him. He's like, ah, I see you're, you're about one step away from overdrive, but keeping you alive would not be in my best interest. So I'm going to kill you. This is an Ether Gear reach its critical point. This is overdrive. And he turns uh, inverted color scheme, basically. Yes. Uh, and that means he's scary. So he just starts turning cheeky to stone, which is kind of weird because I didn't know if like it seemed like before doing this gave you like powers beyond. And I kind of thought he could already do this. <laughs> if he touched you, he could just turn you to stone. But maybe he couldn't do it on living things before. Um, anyway, also, his overdrive turns him into a lizard because he has a tail now. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of weird moments in this chapter because... I'll go into more detail when we actually have to finish before I talk about how awful this is. But <laughs> um, there are a lot of things that are just like raced past uh in order to set them up and then resolve them but then there are little details like what does dragon joe going into overdrive even mean other than he he am stronger now are there like you said are there things he can do now that he couldn't before uh but then there's the whole 
issue of I mean, there is the implication that the entire reason that Drac and Joe has those casinos and clubs and everything and this entire massive ship full of people is actually so that he can drain life from them in order to live longer. And nobody mentions that at any point during that whole explanation of that device, which seems like it would have you know, been a really effective thing to say, like, you know, like, you know, if you just pulled back and showed the entire ship, like the entire yeah. reason Dragon Joe travels this way is so that he can actually live on. He doesn't care about any of these people at all. But now just zoom, right past it. So, yeah. So Shiki's arms being turned to stone. Uh, but I guess before it can completely turn to stone or maybe his one. No, his one arm. Yeah, I guess we don't see it. I don't know if his arm's stone or not anymore. Anyway. Arsenal flies down, punches him in the head. Shiki's like, "Wise, why are you here?" And Wise is like, "So you're the one, you're the one who killed the person who meant the most to me." So There's another another weird line there. You killed the person who meant the most to me. Okay. <laughs> it's because next week we're gonna find out about Wise's tragic backstory that wasn't really kind of hinted at all that much until this point. No, we didn't really have any indication at all whatsoever that this is a Weiss arc. <laughs> I thought this was a Rebecca arc. <laughs> I mean, it's, I guess it's a way to be like, hey, here's some more stuff. And also to like, kind of define what is supposed to have kind of separated Weiss from old Weiss that we know of. Um, But, yeah. I don't, like, I'm kind of excited because I do kind of like Weiss from like as the Sanji S kind of character of the group, there's like some fondness there, but it's just, it's just there. There's a couple of chapters this week that really made me think, you know, that they're just, you know, the kind of series that like have the setup and the payoff in the same chapter. And that gets really frustrating sometimes because there's nothing really to get invested in because it's always paid off immediately. Um, and this in particular was a really egregious example of that, where you have this whole thing of like, here's this device that Dragon Joe is using. And we're not actually going to take any time to actually settle on what that means, because uh, now Gene, whose real name is Chris Rutherford, um, <laughs> has decided to ally with us because he wants to save his sister. So he wrecked the thing so that Hermit could hack into it. And now we're going to hack it. And I guess that this is how Sheik is actually going to be Dragon Joe instead of actually doing anything to take a step forward on his own. Maybe yeah. If so <laughs> it just goes by so quickly and there's no time to appreciate anything that is actually established in it before. It's like, it's gone now. We're done. So. Yeah. All right. Well, Chris, this next chapter on the list, it seems that you have boned both of us. So. Bone collection. Oh man, I had like a fever dream where last week I used my veto on the podcast and I I like forced it into the recap. I'm glad that is the reality we live in, right? Chapter four. <laughs> Chris, I want to execute you. Uh truth be told, this actually wasn't like a bad chapter. It just was there. It, yeah. it, it was a chapter that happened. Involving characters that I hate, but that did not really do anything to make me hate them more because this was just kind of like a setup for things to happen in the next chapter. Uh, Kazami's on a mission. He's with Reno and uh, Pyra doesn't trust him to go uh, anywhere because 
she, like Reno, is a jealous, clingy asshole. And so even though Kazami tried to ditch her by getting her a bunch of food, she still uh, is tailing him. She just brought the food with her. I mean, yeah, makes sense. Honestly. I mean, it's a pretty logical way to go about it. Yeah. So every time that Pyra sees Reno and Kazami getting close to each other, like holding hands and stuff like that, she gets really jealous, but she doesn't stop eating. Um, and then Reno is like, you know, I thought that you had might have used the yokai spell again. I'll explain since you don't know. How does he not know this? He's the one who used the spell. Did no one tell him? <laughs> hey, you must may not know what you're doing in any way, shape, or form. So let me let me explain it to you. Essentially, listen. You should buckle your seatbelt because I told you to. But here's this ticket for not wearing your seatbelt. Wear your seatbelt. Why? Because I told you to. That'll work. <laughs> yeah. Add it into the manga. Just write it in on uh, page 11. Just yeah. staple it over everything that was going to be there. Buckle your seatbelt. So the explanation is thus. There are 25 yokai that are ranked S or above. They are known as yokai rulers. It's said that they were created out of the yokai spell. And then Reno starts like bragging about how smart she is that she knows this in the middle of explaining it because no character in this series is allowed to be honorable or likable or in, in any way whatsoever. Uh, but then she goes on to explain there are many theories. One is that a thousand years ago, an exorcist used the yokai spell for the first time, which beckoned yokai from all over into the human world. The exorcist loosened the gate between the yokai and human worlds, and that's why yokai appear in our world today. That's why they established the Exorcist Federation and the four top members are called the four Exorcist Kings. They lead us in our battle to protect humans. Anyone who uses the Yokai spell brings misfortune upon themselves. So why are you trying to use it, Kazami? And Kazami, why did you become an exorcist? And Kazami thinks about his little Kappa friend who died uh, because, you know, he wanted to make friends with him and stuff. And Reno says that, oh, it's just because you want to meet girls, right? Something lame like that. Uh, and then she's like immediately gotten herself pissed off at him. So now she's no longer worried about him. So she starts stalking off angrily. Uh, Pyra's like, that woman's jerking Kazami around. I should do something about this. But she's too busy eating food to do anything. Uh, but then Kazami points out to Reno, hey, I thought we were just going on a mission together, but it says that there should be this Abe guy with us. But at that moment, Anoni attacks. And uh, fortunately, uh, in an off panel scene Kazami was given like a talisman thing that could summon a shield bubble so he cat tackles Reno away from the Oni and protects them and then a whole bunch of other Oni arrive and they're like we need to run because the uh, the shield bubble sh pops and so they run away Pyra is still upset because Reno and Kazami are being all physically close but at that moment she's snatched up off of her hiding spot by Akifuyu Abe, the, the exorcist king guy that they were just talking about. And he's some weird looking asshole with glasses and a goatee. And uh, he says, it's been a while, Pyra. And Pyra seems to recognize him, question mark. Uh, they're running. Uh, but Reno's, they've stopped because they don't see any Oni uh, chasing them anymore. Reno says, I'm fine, but Kazami, your leg. And I'm like... Was there a moment 
in the chapter where Kazami's leg got injured, or that we were given any indication that Kazami's leg was injured. Chris, I went back and I checked three times. There is literally no indication prior to this, or any indication until pages later that Kazami's leg has been injured. So, I guess Reno observing that Kazami's leg was injured caused it to manifest as reality. I guess it, it could just be that like the the ground explodes up that that's when she hurts her leg when like she basically lands. Oh no, she hurts her leg then. But she says, "Who orders us here? I'm fine, but Kazami, your leg." And then the next time you get a look at Kazami's leg, it as well as bleeding. Huh. But it wasn't bleeding before this. Yeah, I don't quite get that. It's like Schrodinger's cat. You know, you talking about the leg causes it to collapse and become either injured or uninjured. So, I would like to note this is what I, the third time the super cool exorcist prodigy uh, has been revealed to be uh, completely worthless and ineffective at being uh, any kind of legitimate talent. She's doing literally the exact same thing that Kazami is. When she is supposedly leagues above his level. Yes. She's constantly getting sidelined. So Reno is in danger because her role is to be a damsel in distress. And Kazami thinks about what she just asked him. Why did you become an exorcist? At that moment, Pyra comes rolling, quote unquote, comically through the air and lands in front of them. And Kazami's like, I need your powers, Pyra. And Pyra's like, if you use my powers, you're going to be killed. And Kazami's like, that doesn't matter. Nothing matters if I can't protect a girl. I don't care what people tell me. I'm going to use the yokai spell to protect someone. That's why I'm an exorcist. And he draws a spear from her body. And at that moment, Abe is observing from the shadows. And he's like, I saw you use the yokai spell. Execution it is. So I wonder if they will reveal he's also wearing a girl's swimsuit underneath. Yeah. And thus, that will be the thing that keeps him from yes. telling a secret to everybody. What embarrassing secret will they foist upon him to get themselves out of this situation, I suppose? I don't know. He's uh, his his... Underneath his goatee, his chin uh, looks like um, like a butt, like a really big butt. Yeah, but not like the way that like a cleft chin looks like a butt, but like the the butt is like perpendicular to how it should be. So, so like he's got like a really weirdly misshapen skull that he's really embarrassed about. For some he has reason. to hide that. Yeah, through underneath the goatee. Uh, so, like I said, this chapter just kind of happened. It was not worse than the stuff that we got recently. In fact, it was probably the best chapter since chapter one, uh, because, oh yeah, it remember that Kazami as the protagonist should be at least somewhat likable. And he actually demonstrated that quality that he did in the first chapter of like, this is why you should actually care about me and what I'm trying to do. Uh, but still, Rito's like a really awful person and Pyro is showing herself to be a really awful person in this chapter too. So, yep. All right. Uh, da, da, da. Mashal! Magic yeah! and Muscles. Chapter 16, Mash Vanded and the Bone Unicorn! Fuck, why is that not a band, like an album title or a band name? Bone Unicorn. Fuck, I want, Nick, do you want to start a band if we could be called Mash Vanded and the Bone Unicorns? Sure. <laughs> Neither of us will be Mash, we'll both be the Bone Unicorns. In fact, there's yeah, never a Mash. <laughs> Mash would just, like, not care enough to, to like, be 
lead of anything. You just we, like be there and yeah. like beating cream puffs. So we, we're just gonna have a cardboard cutout of of Mash at every performance we do. <laughs> so he's there with us. And uh, that's that. We're gonna be. We're basically just gonna steal songs from two thousands uh, WWE rock bands. Sure. <laughs> just gonna take everything from Theory of a Dead Man and Rep Theory and. Yeah, we'll, we'll steal. We'll steal everything from two thousand six, which meant that it was tra- topping the charts in two thousand three or four. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we get a little bit of a recap of the fact that uh, Easton Magic Academy has the multiple dorms, and of course, you know, Lang Dorm has been attacking Adler Dorm, which Mash and basically all of the good guys belong to. Also, in there is Ravenclaw, which means Orca Dorm. So, uh, and they are in active competition. Uh, so. In the present, uh, Lance, you know, we we actually get confirmation that the person who said okay then at the end of the last chapter was Lance. <laughs> um, and uh, so Mash pulls out his coins and oh, they they turn into a gold coin because like oh, all right, I got I got a piece from Barbell Brows and two from the Big Scorpion, so now I've got five coins and so now I've got a gold coin. It's very shiny. Yeah, it immediately starts glowing immensely. He's like, huh. All right. I like that. Mash is pretty unimpressed with things unless they're crazy. Literally everything. Uh, He shows it off to Barrett and Barrett gets blinded by this. And then Mash is like, I didn't know we had separate dorms. (laughs) Of course we have separate dorms. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for like two weeks from now. And he's like, oh, right. We're in a magic school. <laughs> How do you not know this? Finn says, "You know that after you entered the school, we got sorted, right?" And Nash is like, "Huh." Now that you mentioned, and you know what? Because we go through this whole flashback, and then at the end of it, Mash is like, "Oh yeah, that happened." I'm <laughs> so this is like the perfect excuse to like retroactively establish things because then Mash can just. Uh, what, what are you talking about? How did we get here on this battlefield? And then we'll get like the entire flashback that explains how this the battle was set up. And then we'll be like, all right. <laughs> it's perfectly in character for him. He really doesn't care about anything unless it's cream puffs or his friends. So we get the sorting hat ceremony. <laughs> Just, Look. I love how shameless it is. It's, <laughs> it's fucking like... Part of me is like, it's because the series is doing very, very well still, um, like kind of shockingly well, uh, based off of how it keeps kind of ranking and jump. It seems like there's a lot of uh, higher up sort of favorite uh, favoritism toward not favoritism, but uh, support for it. I'm like, can they make this into a series? Because <laughs> J.K. Rowling be like, all right, now hold on a goddamn second. Ah, uh, yes, renowned, renowned Crunchyroll subscriber J.K. Rowling. <laughs> oh, well, all it takes is one fucking nerd to start messaging her when the anime gets announced. They're like, this no one will do that. Yeah, no one, no one ever just rats out things to fucking people online. And then she'll just be. <laughs> And then she'll just be like, trans people aren't actually the, the gender they say they are. And they'll be like, oh, okay, actually. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, I, I forgot. I, I used to not respect you because you came up with stupid fucking story twists. Now I dislike you because you revealed yourself to be kind of not the, the, the very in touch person. Uh, but still, like, because people bring it up like, oh, Dragon Ball was like a Journey of the West. Like, Journey of the West is public domain. <laughs> like, yeah. major studios have the the rights to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. So, 
<laughs> I think that there are enough differences that they'll get away with it, basically. Like a magic academy that where you're sort into different dorms and stuff like that. There's enough ideas there that are very basic that they're gonna get away with. I I want Mash to start. You know what they should have done is instead of calling them Lang and Orca and uh and and Adler, they should have just been called Osiris Red, Raw Yellow, Novelist Blue. So fuck, <laughs> they should have done that. So we see that the Sorting Hat is instead a skeletal unicorn with a handle on the tip of its horn. And basically it leans its head down and the, the student grabs the handle on its horn and then it senses in, you know, it, it basically reads their personality in their mind. And from that determines what dorm they're best suited for. So we go through, you know, a little bit of a brief montage of like, oh, you're going to Adorm, you're going to Orcadorm. And then it gets to Mash Van Dead and he, and he takes the horn and the unicorn sees mash inside of a mountain of cream puffs i i audibly laughed out loud the first time of this it's, he's so goddamn content with it like, it's so fucking stupid like i love the unicorn's like huh what was that about i was trying to get it to say shit and Matt's just like, I'm in heaven. <laughs> I don't know. It's such a dumb joke. But the way it's delivered is so fucking funny. And like, Matt actually accidentally grips the horn a little bit too tight and it starts to crack under his hand. He's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> and so, so the unicorn's like, there's got to be something else in there. And then he sees that Mash is literally drooling. <laughs> and he's like, okay, come on. I, I can't just give up. I have sorted students for hundreds of years. Never once have I been stumped for an answer. Let's try this again. He just sees Mash in the Cream Puff Mountain again. So he's like, some cream puffs have softly toasted in our shell, and the inside is filled with cream. Some, like the show au crocodile, have a hard baked shell in a gooey center. In that way, cream puffs represent someone who is strong, your remains kind of the inside. Therefore, pastry lovers go to Adler. It's funny, and yet also, I am incredibly impressed by the dedication. <laughs> yeah, then he's like, I need to word associate him into a dorm. <laughs> And Mash is just like, all right, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> and so all of you, know, everyone who was at the ceremony is just like, what the fuck was that? And then <laughs> so Lance is like, anyway, listen, Lang's elite, the Magia Lupus, there's seven super talented students. And that guy with the piercing is one of their lackeys. So they've been grabbing up coins to sway the next divine visionary. That's why you're a target. So here's what you should do. Keep your distance from them and stick with a doormate if you can. And Mash is like, okay, I will. Cut to immediately the next day. Whoops, I got lost. <laughs> That's the instant. Whoops, I got lost. <laughs> so Mash is wandering down the corridors. And he's like, I think this is where my class is. Huh. Is this a push door or a pull door? I always get this wrong. So we cut to inside. <laughs> Lang dorm. I forgot the big fucking joke at the end. So, the guy who was the bolts and brows guy uh, is begging for his life essentially before the Magia Lupus. 
But uh, one of them, I think the guy that we saw previously who has all of the many lines on his face, uh, you know, he's begging for a chance. And he's like, no, giving him a chance makes it sound like I expected something out of him. Only the chosen should influence this world. The best education, the greatest gifts, the purest bloodline. We're collecting coins to create a world free of impurities, for we are Slytherin Langdorm. <laughs> and he turns the guy into a giant puppet, which is horrifying, honestly. Yeah. But, he, tell, but uh, he tells him, you won't have to shoulder that burden anymore. And the guy's body is kind of you know, lifted up on invisible strings and stalks over to join a long line of uh, other puppets who are all wearing the 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 uh, the academy's uniform. So I'll be surprised if there are very many people left in Langdorm outside <laughs> of these seven. So the guy, the puppet master guy, declares the divine visionary should be me, not that awful riffraff from Adler, right, mother? And he's holding a tiny little baby doll. He says, "Oh," and he starts to keep on going on a monologue. But then all of a sudden you hear, hey, and of course, Mash is at the door and he's ripped. He's accidentally ripped the door off the hinges. And he's like, you know, you're talking to a doll, right? <laughs> oh, so, so I may have broken your door. May <laughs> as he's holding the door in his hand, I may have destroyed your door. <laughs> Come on, man. And I love that the dude's response is like, thank you for bringing that to my attention. Like the guy that- this is the guy who's still dead set of like, I am the evil one who, you know, he's, he won't be thrown off by Mash's actions. So he's still like, yes, thank you for bringing that to my attention. This is going to be like the equivalent of like Phoenix Wright villains, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where you have to wear them down the sand. They're all arrogant and awful at first, but then eventually as you expose their lies, they get more and more flustered until eventually they completely freak out. Mash, Mashal's version of that is eventually people just get fed up of Mash being a completely brain dead idiot obsessed with cream puffs until they just like lose all all semblance of who they were before. Like, why? Why are you so stupid and so muscly? <laughs> I just I don't know why I laughed so hard with the, the sorting hat uh, picture. Sorry, the bone unicorn picture. But then just the shot of him opening up the door and the first thing being, hey, you know, it's a doll you're talking to. Also, I may have broken your door. It's just I fucking love this character. I, I, Bashel is becoming like the series I'm most looking forward to every week because it's just like I can't guarantee you're always going to get like a great chapter out of something like One Piece or or Dr. Stone or, or like uh, Chainsaw Man. Like they're usually very good, but I can't guarantee it. But I feel like it's almost a certain I'm going to laugh out loud at least once in a Mashal chapter. And I appreciate that so much. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Okay. All right, I'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, man. (laughs) So it's Mission Yozakura Family. Mission 36. Tom Popo. Yes, because Tom Popo got mentioned in two different chapters in Shonen Jump in the same week. So that's weird. Um, Chris left at the perfect time because Kyoichiro is at the start of this chapter. Boo. And uh, we get uh, the establishment of Nanao Metal, which is an alloy that was developed by Nanao. Ten times as heavy and hard as iron. And uh, for whatever reason, Kyoichiro has Tayo tied up 
and on his knees, and he is placing heavy weights on his knees to torture him while he talks to him in order to brief him and stuff like that. I don't like he's he's punching him for nothing. He's done nothing wrong, but he's like, we're, we're talking, so I'm going to torture you. What an asshole. So, uh, having learned about this Tampopo organization, Kyoichiro says, like, you know, this is one of the organizations that's targeting Mutsumi, and I've been able to fight them off a number of times, but I don't know much about them. I only know two things. One, that each member has a dandelion fluff tattoo. And two, they killed the previous head, Mutsumi's mother. And I've used every network uh, information network available to the family, but I've never been able to catch them. I've been plagued by all these negative emotions for many years. Ah, I'm going to put more weights on you. But now we have a clue. Your family were victims of Tampopo 2, and I found out your father worked for a medical equipment company, so I expand my investigation into the entire medical industry. And I found out that there are all these various medical field professionals who died in unexpected accidents. And I managed to find a contact that they all had in common, the director of the Kawashita Medical Office, the Koto Kawashita. So I don't know if this guy is actually behind everything, but clearly he is a person of interest. So, and so he gives him one last little pep talk saying they killed the ninth head Mutsumi's mother. They killed your family. Now Tampopo is after Mutsumi. Don't you want to uncover the truth about them? Though I don't even think I need to ask. And so we cut ahead to... Mutsumi and Tayo arriving at the Kawashita medical office and they go in and they're disguised as a very elderly couple. And uh, so Mutsumi is disguised as an elder wife, pushing Tayo disguised as a very elderly man in a wheelchair. They go in for a medical examination, which means that like this is the most amazing disguise ever because like they go through a freaking checkup and Tayo is like spending the night in the hospital. How no one, like, realized, wait a minute, this guy has the body of, like, a 16-year-old. I have no fucking clue. But it worked, I guess. So they're proceeding through, you know, this. Uh, they stay in the, medic in, you know, the, the room for the night and stuff like that. And Tayo, of course, has to have fucking old people hospital food, which I'm sure is great. Um, and Musumi's kind of teasing him while she, you know, act, plays the part of an older wife and stuff like that. Uh, and she says, oh, you know, it'd be nice if we could have a peaceful retirement like this in real life. You know, just live out our last days unconcerned with assassinations and bounties and stuff like that. And Taya says, you know, maybe it would be good if we grew old together. And if one of us has to see the and, you know, if one of us did have to see the other one off, I hope you see me off first because I wouldn't know how to go on living if you weren't there. And of course, you know. Tyler kind of like catches himself a little too late that he just said something incredibly cheesy, but Musumi, you know, really appreciates it. And she's, and they get, they get, she gets very lovely dovey with him for a second. You know, it's like, I say that again. And Tyler's like, oh, no, I'm too embarrassed, even though we're married and we know we love each other and stuff. I hate manga romances and shonen. <clears throat> so that night, um, Kawashita is being seen up by one of the doctors. Tayo is trailing him still in the old man disguise. Uh, he sneaks into the director's office and starts investigating some stuff. He uses, you know, some, a fingerprint that he got uh, from the checkup in order to, uh, you know, hack into the guy's computer. And he finds, ah, Tampopo. Uh, there's a there's something called the Some Yoshino Project. Uh, there's information on the Yozakura family. 
and there's an information that reads, you know, the biological mechanism for the Yuzukura for, you know, the Yuzukura's birthing talent is the protein somanine that is found in the blood of the current Yuzukura head increases the speed at which cells divide and the threshold of the division. This is the primary factor behind the Yuzukura family's elevated five senses and physical abilities. Since the somanine is effective even when ingested by those who are not Yuzukuras, their blood is viewed as a powerful doping agent. No synthetic method of producing somanine has been developed. In order to mass-produce biological weapons and to formulate distribution networks, it is necessary to obtain the means by which somanine is produced. Mutsumi Yozakura's heart. I'm sure that that you know there will be no complications to doing this if you try to do it in reality. But yeah, so Mutsumi is a target, of course, for this organization. At that moment, Kawashita sneaks up behind Tayo, slashes at him with a scalpel because he's a doctor. Uh, it rips uh, off uh, Tayo's facial disguise, and he's like, oh, wait a minute. I heard rumors you were alive, but I never expected you to make it all the way here. You never know how life will turn out. And uh, he says, it doesn't matter if it's an Ingeville like you or, the, or a family like the Yosakura family. No one can stop us. And Kawashita's got the Tampopo uh, a tattoo thing. Like right on his fucking neck. So I don't know if he like took a patch off of, of his skin off or something, because you'd think that if it was on his neck, it would be very easy to spot. I've seen Cody's tattoo. It's not something that can be covered up easily. Anyway, so. Kawashita tries to stab into Tayo's chest with the scalpel to kill him, but it shatters. As um, in order to mimic an old person's slow movements, Kyoichiro forced him to put a nanao plate inside of his clothing. And so it acted as a protection. So, hey, it was it, 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 it was Chekhov's nanao plate. Hooray. So Tayo decrees, I don't care about revenge. I just want to protect Mutsumi. He takes out his taser gun, shoots the guy, uh, but it doesn't work. And there's a big flash of light. And as uh, the guy starts off a flash bomb and he says, since you extended your life a little longer, be sure to cherish it. And the guy gets away and he's also taking the computer so Tayo can't retrieve any of the evidence. But, oh, yes, he can, because he put all of it on a thumb drive. And he says, at least we know one part of their plan. For Mutsumi's sake, too, I'll get to the bottom of this. God, I came back right at, like, the perfect time. It was amazingly timed, wasn't it? <laughs> hey, this is a chapter. Uh, so this is at least, you know, leading into like, hey, you know, they're, they're, they're you know, proceeding along the same things as they did the last chapter and stuff like that. I do still kind of wish that Yosakura family would do at least more of like the two chapter stories that we had with the Nanao thing and stuff, because you don't really have any time to appreciate, you know, oh, Tayo's in this library with this crazy one who will kill him if he makes a sound. Oh, Tayo's disguised as an old man in this hospital so that he can sneak around and gather information. It's just like moving in th between different scenarios really quickly. And yeah. uh, you don't really have a time to, like, you know, plant your feet and catch up. And I would actually like it more if you could do that. But at least we are proceeding down, you know, like an actual plot line and uh, proceeding towards a major thing. So, yeah, um I, I'm I'm optimistic in a way, like the show hopefully will lead somewhere. It's just in my mind, like, is, is the next chapter going to be about them being like, 
Oh well, we have to we have to go sailing to get to this place where the bad guys are. Better find our uh, ship captain. Secret spy family. Secret uh, spy family training. Yeah, it's it's a secret spy training boat. Also, the captain has an infatuation with Mutsumi and hates Tayo, so he's going to go after him, or vice versa, or something like that. All right, we'll do it again. Again. So yeah. All right. Let's move on to chapter two of Time Paradox Ghost Rider. The story that couldn't stop. We get a little bit of uh, narration at the beginning of this chapter, uh, saying many stories feature what is called a point of no return. The moment that the protagonist has to make a fateful choice, go back to normal life or continue down their present course. And uh, Tepe basically finds himself at his point of no return as he returns to his apartment in Tokyo from home and uh, sees that his microwave has continued to spew out future editions of Shonen Jump. So he realizes now, I wasn't dreaming, this actually did happen, and it turns out that I copied uh, a future edition of Jump when I made White Knight. But then he realizes, and so he realizes that he's plagiarized it, and he immediately freaks out and thinks, oh, no, this is bad. Um, But he thinks, well, wait, but, you know, it starts 10 years in the future, so I'm not actually hurting anyone. No, 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 no. A manga is a precious jewel distilled from the blood, sweat, and tears of an artist, and I completely ripped it off. What should I do? And you know, more manga comes out, um, and he sees that uh, there is, you know, in the future, uh, hey, you know, Why Night Chapter 7, still by Itsuki Aino, and he realizes using his great knowledge of sci-fi uh, time travel theory, that the timelines have diverged. And so in that timeline, Itsuki Aino is still writing White Knight. But now in this turn timeline, of course, he's writing it. So if you change the path through time travel, the future changes as well. But the future hasn't changed. My microwave uh, create a parallel world instead. I hope that is never explained either. I hope it's always just his microwave is just magical. Also, like, is this a better way of explaining it than the way they had to do it in, like, the $300 billion budget Avengers movie where they're like, all right, so if you take the stone from here, you're going to create a parallel. All right, I get it, but man, there got to be an easier way to explain this. So Tepe is thinking to himself, you know, why has this happened? How? Don't worry about it. But he thinks about the various people who have read the manga so far, you know, his mother, his editor, his friends are like, oh, it's so great. But he's thinking he's you know, crying now because he realizes White Knight's not my work. I still haven't actually accomplished that dream that I had. I haven't done anything. So he realizes this is the point of no return. You know, I could still stop things here. You know, I'll I'll, I'll create something by myself and I'll just keep on trying to get serialized. And so I'm going to end this. I'm going to end this weird miracle. And he takes a pair of scissors to cut the cables that feed the refrigerator and microwave into the wall because the wires have melted into it. So he can't unplug them. This seems very dangerous. But, I was uh, you're like, is there like another alternate reality where he fucking did it? And the scissors just can't, like he just gets electrocuted and dies. Uh, Tepe gets a call from his new editor, Munioka, who is asking about like, hey, you know, how are the storyboards for your series coming along? 
And uh, remember, we've got, you know, a meeting and stuff like that. So he's like, oh, God, what am I going to do? I've got to tell him I can't make it into a series. So he takes one last look at the microwave. He's got to go off to the meeting. And he's like, I'll, I can still destroy it when I get back. So Munioko congratulates Tepe on reaching number one with the one shot. Uh, and he's like, listen, um, I only conceived of White Eyes a short story. I don't have plans to make it into a series, so I'm sorry. Let's just, Can I just start over with a new idea? And Munioka's like, no, what a waste. It's got to be a series. It was so well made. You could just, you know, reuse that one shot as chapter one. You know, if you create something that polished, then there, you, there's no way you can't just come up with ideas and fl- to flesh it out. And Tepe is, you know, starting to get more and more torn as he thinks about it. Uh, but he's like, listen, no, look, I, I just don't feel the desire to draw it. He's trying to reach for any excuse possible. But then Munioka's like, but what about the hero Kazuma's dream? And the heroine Sora hasn't been saved. You're just going to leave the pro- that promise with his master unfulfilled. And come on, you know, these aren't just, you know, empty lies to sell books. The, the story of these characters, they're all alive. They live on the page. They breathe in our hearts. And Tepe's like, oh, my God. <laughs> fuck, fuck, fuck. And so he keeps he tries to be like, look, no, I'm a ripoff artist. Look, no. Uh, and so he starts trying to come up with a new excuse. But Munioka pulls out a paper bag full of fan mail for Tepe after one chapter. And he's like, oh, there's all this. St- We've never gotten this much for, you know, a new artist's debut. And Tepe starts leafing through them. And he gets this flash of all of these people reading the manga and enjoying it and how many people have been touched by it. And Munioka gives him a pep talk saying, like, listen, you know, I don't know what you're feeling right now. I'm not going to demand that you give me uh, all you've got. But I have to admit, it looks to me like you're just afraid right now. In the end, you're the one who decides if you'll draw or not. The choice is yours. But don't forget, we'll be waiting our whole lives for this, waiting for the rest of this wonderful story. So Tebe goes home and uh, he reads some of the future chapters of White Knight. And he's like, oh, my God, it's so good. And, uh, Fuck, it's incredible. And he's and the, he was going through and he's like, oh, my God. So this was a setup for that. It just gets better and better as it goes on. Oh, my God. And then he realizes, you know, as he you know, stares up the ceiling and starts to cry, he's like, I have to draw it. So he gets to work. Uh, you know, he goes back to Munayoka uh, with storyboards for the first three chapters. And he's like, I've made up my mind. I'm going to bring this story into the world without revealing the truth. I have robbed the world of a future in which Itsuki Aino publishes White Knight. Now I'm the only one who can give the readers this masterpiece. Why was this sent to me in the first place? Was it a free coincidence? I don't know. But I'm certain of one thing. This is an obligation. I've started the story and I can't stop it now. I have a duty to see it through. I have to draw with the cross of guilt weighing upon my back. I have to bring it forth into the world until the story reaches its end. So, without getting into what happens at the very end of the chapter just yet, I appreciate that Tepe has all of that guilt that he's working through. And I think that the most important part is that he realizes that that idea that he had was not his idea. And so there's still that big thing weighing on him, like, I am still a failure who has not produced anything great. And I think that in and of itself alone is enough of a motivation to you know, realize like this is still a guy who's got his standards and he's, you know, a protagonist that's worth following and stuff. There is also the whole thing where he feels guilty about what he's done, 
But I think that if we're going to proceed through this premise, we do still need the moment where he realizes that what he is doing here is still not actually the right thing to do. Because it's like we had to kind of get to that point. I mean, you like Tepe because he does honorably try to be like, "Uh, I can't do this series. Like he tries like it is one of those things you're like. He can't just come out and say it because he will sound insane. Because yeah. it's it's an absurd premise. My microwave right. sent me a jump manga from a like a decade so in the I, future. I so, plagiarized Future Girl. Yeah. So he's like, uh, I I can't do it. And eventually they keep talking. And I do like how the onus gets pushed on different things. Where it's like, no, like the you know the editors like you have to do it because this is the most amazing. And what about the characters trying to appeal to like the artistic side? And then finally, it's like, and look at all the people who wrote in yeah. after we published it. They love this series. So suddenly, like all these things chip and chip away at his resolve until eventually, he he starts turning that 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 anger towards his own failures and starts turning it into like this guilt. He's like. I must take this upon myself because I can't let all these other people down with my mistakes. So I'll hold this on and I'll do this, this weird, like martyr instinct in him. He's like, I'll take all this upon myself and I'll keep doing it. Like the joylessness that seems to be coming with how he's like approaching this. It's, it seems to be a very interesting scenario. And I Mm -hmm. do like how it works itself through, relatively naturally as well like it it does feel like every thought leads naturally through this chapter yeah once he's confronted by the fact that it's touched all these people he's like i've got to keep on doing this now because Mm -hmm. if i don't i'll be letting those people down uh but the chapter's not over yet as we get the news that uh, you know storyboards have been brought into a shonen jump meeting it's been selected for serialization I was reminded of the power of White Knight and of Itsuki Aino. Itsuki Aino, I know this genius shows up in another 10 years, but where is he today? I've done him a terrible disservice, but a genius of his caliber could surely outdo even White Knight. Or maybe that's just an excuse I'm telling myself to ease my guilt. There is, I do, I do really appreciate he kind of is aware that he is lying to himself uh, with the justifications he makes for doing this. But at that moment... Aino appears before Tepe, and of course he doesn't recognize her. And she's like, are you Tepe Sasaki? And he's like, yeah, that, that's me. And she says, my name is Itsuki Aino. It's nice to meet you. And Tepe, of course, goes, and Aino says, what do you mean, buh? I saw, so hey, they, they've met each other all of a sudden, which is earlier than I was thinking it might be. So, yeah, I, my number one thing when I, I generally try to digest media is I want them to get the, the, the most boring premise out of the way as quickly as possible. Uh, part of the reason I watched Boardwalk Empire as fervently as I did is because the first episode is all about like a character being like, I want to, I want opportunity. And his boss being like, no, you're not ready for it. So the guy goes out and betrays his boss secretly and does all this. And I was like, it's going to be like two seasons before it's finally going to come out that this happened. No, within that episode, he like walks up to his boss. like, Hey, I betrayed you, but here's some of that money back. This is just how business is done. You're like, fucking thank Christ. We didn't just mm-hmm. go with the most boring premise. And like, Obviously, I don't know if that's exactly what's happening here, but if it's just like, hey, these two are immediately going to confront this issue and start doing it, I'm like, that's just a relief in my mind. 
they're uh, Barry, the uh, HBO show with Bill Hader. Um, they talked about uh, a, a, an episode about halfway through the second season. And Bill Hader said, like, yeah, we had this idea, you know, like put it over here and stuff. And then eventually, like someone came in and was just like, why don't you just like get that out of the way, like here instead? And they're like, yeah, that's probably better just just to get that out of the way. And, you know, it's like sometimes, you know, writers do work themselves into that. Oh, oh, no, we've got to save it for later. Yeah. And instead of doing it, you know, right now, it's, you know, there is a happy medium between no, wait, 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 wait. And uh, Black Clover and, and, yeah. and Hero series and stuff. So you know there there are there is a pace somewhere in the middle which is not too quick and not too slow. And this was a really nice surprise to have you know Tepe go through literally all of the whole. Do I what do I do now that I've learned this? Should I do it or should I not? I've decided to do it. What do I do about the person who actually wrote it? Oh, here they are. <laughs> so. Yeah. This chapter was way better to me than the first one. So I'm really looking forward to the next one. So, All right. Well, Nick, let's talk about <sighs> We Never Learn, question 159, X equals Thumbelina Supercomputer, part nine. The final part, as it was announced, the Fumino arc is going to be starting next time. So Thank God. <laughs> we open we open in the Udon shop as Yuega and Ogata on the opposite end of Ogata's father, and he's like, What what were you here for? You wanted to talk? And Ogata just outright says, Yuega and I are dating. And he's like, uh, I understand your anger, because that was the whole thing. The dad was always super protective of Ogata. And he's like, I assure you my feelings for your daughter are sincere. And dad's like I see. I'm not surprised. She's only had eyes on you since high school. So, I know that you've been burned out with all of the things you've done over a young age. I know it's been hard. But at this point, we're all in this together. If you ever need anything, I'm here for Like, immediately just becomes like a dad to him now. Where he's just yeah. like, if this is where we're at, I'm here to support you then. So, it's a nice little way to kind of close out that character. Um, but if you ever make her cry, I'll kill you. Yeah, he still has that out there, but it's not even said like a joke, really. It is it is sort of like a thing the dad would say where it's just like, I'm here to support you. Don't make my daughter cry. Very clean. Uh, they go outside. Ghost Girl's like, oh, hey, that was cool. You know, just like an engagement announcement. I was like, yeah, just like the actual engagement <laughs> happened at the end of uh, Aruka's arc. But sure, this is just Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, Seki Joe is out, like, clearly spying on them with, like, a plant, like, one of the branches with a, like, a small bush on the end of it behind a pole. I am a hedge. Don't yeah. look over here. <laughs> uh, they're just like, whoa, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. There's a whole bunch of little jokes, and then we get, like, a flashback, and it's everyone being, it's, like, like, uh, Uega being like, you can see Ghost Girl? And Seki Joe's like, yeah, I, I think I was kind of able to see her since the board came convention. And it's like, oh, so you knew that she went back with you to your parents' place. And she's like, yeah, but, you know, I was kind of glad to have her with me. When I was talking with my parents, she supported me a lot and helped me keep my calm. And maybe that's why I got to see my parents smile at each other a little bit like they used to. I don't like the implication that Seiki Joe's parents just fell in love again. Because then it's just like, come on. (laughs) Well, Nick, this is all about happy endings. Uh, so Uega and Sekijo like sip some tea, and then immediately are both like, "We can't let Ogata find out." Of course, if she knew it was a ghost, she'd immediately start freaking out. And uh, 
she walks up with the game and she's like, oh, hey, all three of us, should, like, uh, second, she's like, all three of us should play. She's like, three? There's one more of us. Because it turns out, Ogata knows the ghost is there as well. And she's like, I know you helped me and, and Sekijo too. You're an important friend. And I don't mind ghosts if they're friendly. So would you like to play a game with us too? And we This go entire back. flashback is basically, well, that was easy. <laughs> yeah, we go back to the ghost girl in the fucking hospital. Because remember, a child died <laughs> in this story and wanted friends. And she's like, the only thing I really wanted was friends to smile with. I want to play a game with my friends. Uh, so eventually, they run off. Uh, Sekijo grabs uh, Ghost Girl. They run off. They give Uega and Ogata some private time. And Uega's like, oh, wow, my heart's pounding so fast. She's like, well, I, I, you know, I, I thought you, you didn't get excited around me. I wanted that, so I really tried everything I could think of. He's like, but you said it was a game. And uh, she pulls out the first game they ever played, like the little card game. And he's like, oh, wow, this is great. And she's like, well, if I win, will you give me a reward? He's like, sure, as long as it's something I can do. And uh, eventually he loses. Uh, it turns out he <laughs> took 20 games to get there, it seems She's like. still horrible at games. <laughs> this is Ogata's, like, final form, like, her ultimate best ending. And she still sucks at the thing <laughs> she wanted to be good at. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, what do you want for a reward? I hope it's not too expensive. And she's like, from now on, when your heart races, I want you to kiss me and tell me. And he's like, what do you mean? I get that. That's not something you can really do lately. She's like, even just every now and then isn't enough. And they start making out like it's, more it's aggressively like, like than the, I was starting comfortable with. <laughs> it's like the horniest we never learned has ever been. And it's like there's no like sec, there's like no boobs or ass or anything. They're just like uh, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really and there's a moment where she's like, mm, Narayuki, and he's like, huh? But I still haven't had enough. It was like I was like, I don't want to watch this anymore. <laughs> like this is when <laughs> Like, this is when it stops being romantic, and it just becomes pornography. <laughs> it's like, you know, when uh, some people are, like, really dead set on remaining abstinent, but then the things that they do in place of having sex is, like, even hornier than just regular sex. Mm-hmm. So, also, fireworks are going off. Yeah, fireworks <laughs> go off. We cut over to Sekijo with her parents and Ghost Girl, and they think back to the legend where Sekijo saw it happening. She's like, maybe it was real. I mean, not that I believe in that stuff. Hey, hey, ghost girl, are you like a Cupid or something? And the ghost girl's gone. There's just a puppet on her shoulder. She's like, huh? And ghost girl's like, thanks to you all. I'm not lonely anymore. So I pray that all of the people I love will never feel lonely and will always be smiling together with the people they love. So Nick... In all four other stories, this ghost girl never finds happiness. And also, this dead child stays lonely forever. And also, Seiki Joe's parents get divorced and she's sad about it and never talks to them about anything. Yeah. So, I had a little bit of a think about uh, this now that this chapter has ended. And my thoughts on what separates this from the Uruka ending have refined a little bit okay. because I actually started to think about it and I realized that there are more similarities between the two than I initially gave it uh, credit for. Uh, 
a lot of it is mostly just kind of like surface uh, equivalences, though. So, for example, the Uruka ending featured the kids going to the mountains to have a winter vacation thing. This one featured Ogata and Yuiga and Sekijo going to the beach for a summer vacation thing. There is also, you know, uh, the fact that there is someone outside of the couple but related too closely to them that gets help. Uh, in this case, it was Seikijo and also Misao. And in the Eureka one, it was in the flashback with Uiga's sister. The big difference between the two that I get is that in the Eureka ending, there were things going on within the story of Uiga and Eureka's love story. Yeah. In this one, Ogata and Uiga fall in love in an in the midst of an unrelated story, which is the actual story of this ending, which is the stuff with Misao and Seikijo. Like that's the actual story that's going on. And even at the very end where like, you know, they're celebrating and happy and stuff like that. It's over the narration of Misao who has just passed on because that's the actual story that's being told. And this is just happening within it. And so I think that's what the major awkwardness of this is, is that, like I said, I've said previously, this is not like, Rizu and Yuiga's love story. It's just that that just so happens to happen while another story is being told. Yeah. So. I, I, I don't have this, like, my feelings on it aren't as strong as they were at the start. Because I do think the ending for being clumsy at times does still have that moment where, like, oh, Susui is a very good writer when he's able to kind of connect the dots in the right way. I, said, I really like the conversation with Ogata's dad, where you finally get a moment where, like, this weird, creepy overprotected dad finally gets a moment where you're like beyond the comedy there is like a legitimate person down there yeah. that's like hey I didn't want you dating my daughter but you are so you're my son and I'm here to take care of you and I'll be here to that's support you really like cool. it's it's like a nice moment like that and I I did mention last week or it's like the, the moment where they had that big kiss it, it, it had that swell of romantic feeling uh, and I think there's again moments in here that are nice too uh, it's just the last two chapters of the Ogata storyline have felt like they've been kind of good Ogata romance chapters. And the seven chapters before that just didn't really carry that. As you, you know, compare it to the Ruka one where the entirety of the Ruka arc, you're rooting for her. You, you're like, I see how good you are with Uega and I can see how you two have these established relationships and how you want to be together. And like the effort that had to go into getting to her in time it's a very cliche thing but they getting to the airport the before done she over and over yeah <laughs> yeah it's a very romantic feeling where in this one it's you know the last sex like six pages in a chapter is like oh wait i, I have feelings for you okay let's resolve those and now yeah. we're to get like it just doesn't have that same swell yeah. and just doesn't well, feel and, as satisfying well and there's no tension too because mm. if you go at it from the approach of, well, what would have happened if they hadn't confessed their feelings to each other? Well, they would have still hung out a lot and held hands occasionally. Yeah. So like, all right. So I guess you just had to really be hoping that they would just have heated, horny teenager makeouts. Because Man, that was if weird. you were rooting for that, then you would have probably been like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's, it is, it, it, it because we're going to probably comment it throughout the rest of these. Maybe the next one's different. Uh, obviously, this is sort of like, there's not enough to make any kind of ju like claims now because we've only seen one of the endings. But this one definitely was like, 
not canon. Like every part of it, you're like, this doesn't compare to the, because there's no real epilogue. Like the other one actually had an epilogue for the entire cast. And this one was yes. like, I don't know, Firmino has that one more where she's like, I guess go get him, Ogata. It doesn't really fully kind of yeah. resolve anything. There were cameos by the other characters here and there. But yeah, there was very little like, um, and that is how their story comes to a close uh, in any regard whatsoever. Uh, I mean, it's not as though the Aruka ending had that for every character before that epilogue, uh, because, you know, it's like, you know, you had the moments where like each of the girls were like, yeah, there's Yuiga with the girl that he's yeah. with now. And I'm at peace with that. But in this one, you don't get that epilogue where they're like, and now I've moved on with my life and stuff like that. It's just like, yeah, Uruka went away to swim somewhere. <laughs> She's not here. <laughs> That's those feelings are never resolved, presumably. Um, Look, it's Karisu. She's moving stuff in a school building. Yeah, I guess she's happy now. <laughs> uh, so maybe we'll see. Maybe the Firmino one's different, but in my mind, I'm like, this is this this one confirmed what my first thoughts were when they announced it. That this is a way to extend the series a bit longer to give everyone who had their favorite girl their favorite ending, but that truly the Aruka one is very clearly the canon ending, no matter no. what the pick your ending says. Now, if it turns out that, like, there's, like, you know, an ending where, you know, Yuiga has some amazing romantic epic over the course of nine chapters, and that's how he ends up with, I don't know, that one girl from uh, from Fumino's cheer club or whatever, or something like that. And it's like, oh, wow, that was so amazing. That's the canon ending. Yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah, why and not? I say, I'll, and the last note, I've said this, and I and I will say it again. Uh, not all the Not all these stories have to be the same. Yeah, but it is literally just like observing it one after the other. One was more effective than the other. That's it. So, yeah. So we'll see how the Fumino arc goes and hopefully it'll be fun. So. All right. Dr. Stone. Z equals 151. Dr. Dr. Get stoned. Z equals 151. Dr. X. Xless lives. <laughs> He's back and he's a mad scientist now. I guess. <laughs> so uh, people are recovering from, you know, the airplane at attack and stuff like that. They're trying to think of what to do. Uh, and so Senku sends again Chrome and Kohaku out on a little scouting expedition to try and figure out what they what they can about what's on ahead. And of course, Gens being his usual something like, why do I have to go? <laughs> but he realizes pretty quickly uh, as they're, you know, going through the woods. And he's like, wait a minute, something's off. Uh, yeah, we're being lured in again, just like when we were being lured down the river towards the corn and we were led into an ambush. He's trying to do it again. And so again, gets pissed off at these points because he's like, how dare you challenge a mentalist of my caliber? Um, and he thinks back to the poker game that was held on the ship where uh, Senku got his way and they went for the shorter trip. And he's like, you know, I gave him my all and then some of that game. So if nothing else, my loss was frustrating. Two losses in a row. No, thank you. I have to do some growing of my own. It's like, hmm. Do you like okay, it? Cool. So he tells Chrome and Kohaku, hey, you guys hang back and I'll, I'll mark the path forward with my, with my flowers. So he goes on ahead. And when he's off on his own, he's like waving a little white flag and he's saying in English, hello. Uh, and he's ambushed by the machine gunner whose helmet once again splits open, revealing their face and their cigarette and stuff like that. 
and uh, he immediately pats Gin down, and he's like, I'm not carrying any weapons, and he's like, no, but you've got like a shit ton of stuff stuffed in your sleeve, so who are you? And so Gen does a little bit of magic. He's like, oh, you're a magician. Yes! A harmless magician! Yay! So he's like, yeah, I can tell from, you know, touching you that uh, you have strong hands. But that's about it. You know, you're not a warrior, unlike those skilled samurai friends of yours. And he's like, he admits, I was trying to crush you all, but now I've got a whole heap of questions for you. And I bet you've got some as well. So why don't you come and meet our leader? So he starts to lead Gen ahead and they come across this clearing uh, just by uh, a lake or a possibly just, you know, an inlet. Uh, But uh, we get little glimpses here and there because there's their giant fields of corn there's someone out on a sailboat. There's someone on a lo- on a, tr- uh, a tractor, uh, but we don't really see any people other than the gunner and uh, the person that he leads him to inside of a fucking castle, a very weirdly constructed castle that gets wider towards the top because that's how buildings should work. <laughs> so. Uh, Gen describes it as a sort of factory. It's like a Doctor Wily kind of castle, like you yeah, see it in yeah. a video game, where you're just like, the, "All right, you know, that thing's gonna like loom up out of like the shacks around it or something like that on legs." Yeah. So the gunner calls out for Zeno, and the science user of this American kingdom is revealed, and he's got X-shaped patterns on his head from the stone. Yeah, he's Dr. X. I do love, like, we're going to go hard in on this gimmick. So, and also he's got claws. So I've gone back and forth with these claw things. Mm-hmm. I've wondered if they're like stone fragments or if he just put metal tips on his glove. My assumption is they're metal tips. They do have little rivets in them, but you never know. Also, I guess like every villain that we're going to meet from here on out is going to have claws of some sort because this is two in a row between him and Ibarra. It makes your bad guy very scary. Oh, so scary. Very scary. Oh, I just realized also that there's a stitch pattern on the guy's cloak that looks like X's too. God damn it. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. So Gen is like, ah, scientist. They dump Gen's foot and feet in buckets of salt water with wires leading out of them. And he's like, what the fuck is going on? Um, the doctor, Zeno, says, ah, you're the man over there who for some reason has a bizarre habit of sucking toxic fumes into his lungs. He's smoking. Is Stanley Snyder. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> It's very American, I'll give you that. Uh, so Stan uh, is like this, you know, military guy who I guess is a mercenary who works for him. And he's like, and I am Dr. Zeno. And he puts the back of his forearm against Gen's throat for some reason. And Gen's like, okay, why are you <laughs> social distancing? Uh, but he's like, yeah, I'm getting Asagiri. I used to be a kind of a magician in Japan. Uh, and so 
as Dr. Zeno turns, spins around to standing, it's like, oh, you know, they've braved the stone world and come across the ocean like an eastern bearing Columbus. Gen looks up and he sees this bizarre looking machine. And he's like, wait a minute. It's measuring my breath and sweat and it's an EKG reading. Wait a minute. Is this a polygraph test or something like that? Oh, you dare challenge a mentalist like me? So it's, he basically just to me is like, oh, yes, uh, and just, you know, quote unquote spills his guts. He talks about like, oh, this place is nothing like the hellish place in the kingdom of science. So our science leader is just he's such an asshole. He works us to the bone. And Zeno looks over at the, you know, readouts and everything like that. And he's like, huh, yeah, he's it's it's almost elegant the way he speaks. Uh, and Stan says, so what? OK, so he's telling the truth. And Zeno says, well, either he's honest to a fault or he's the world's greatest liar. Not a problem. I love both types. Okay. So again, thinks to himself like, all right, don't worry, Sink. I'm going to infiltrate this place and I'm going to you know, we're going to take it all and we're going to have all of the all that corn and stuff like that so we can make the revival fluid. And then Stan just out of nowhere is like, so what you're saying is we should kill this science scientist guy leading you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Zeno says, what is the scientist's name? And internally, Gen is panicking. And you, know, we, you see like what he's actually feeling by like a face appearing next to his actual face, which is perfectly calm and expressionless. And he's like, I can't tell them the truth because if Senku's targeted, then he'll be torn to shreds. I, I should... You know, just name someone sturdy and someone who would find this place. Yeah, the genius scientist's name is Doctor Taiju. <laughs> See him in a little lab coat. <laughs> Taiju off in, back at the uh, the ship sneezes because someone's talking about him. So, so this is odd. <laughs> you know, it's exciting though. We get this new character. We're getting like the new full premise. As I mentioned last week, like. Uh, this stuff is kind of very significant because now we're going to find out what the 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 real premise to all this is going to be. Yes. Essentially, like how how are these little small arcs going to go? And the idea of like, all right, we're going to start this one off. Senku is going to fight another mad scientist, basically an evil mad scientist. Is like, all right, cool. You know, I, I'm I'm down for it. I don't know if Stanley Snyder is the most interesting like lackey, but you know, it still could be pretty cool. I am very curious about this because this is, you know, like it's one of those things where like based on the way that Zeno is acting, you know that he's evil and he's the villain. And then they're like, yeah, we got to kill Senku. I don't know who Senku is, of course. But I mean, you don't have anything that says like, yeah, this is like what this guy is trying to accomplish and why he's evil. I mean, my going theory right now is that he just likes the way things are and he likes being the one on top and in control. And he perceives another science user as a threat to that. But there's not been anything of like, oh, yeah, I, I, I like, you know, having a harem like Ibarra did previously. So oh. but I'm sure we'll get the explanation eventually. Darren Tootin. <sighs> OK. Chainsaw Man. <laughs> Chapter 70. Pinch. Pimp. So, Oh, man, finally getting that pimpin' manga I've been asking for for you so many years. Denji looks over Santa Claus, whose body is basically like her head the uh, and the upper part of her torso and one arm. She's been freezed, basically. And uh, Denji picks up one of the puppets and squeezes blood out of it to douse the remaining fire on his head and stuff. 
And uh, Santa Claus is just like, all right, well, I get how you work now, but I've got a contract with the doll devil. My dolls are scattered all over the world. With a mere touch, anyone can be made into a doll and become the assassin Santa Claus. And I expect we'll continue to evolve with the power of darkness and come to kill you again and again. Which I guess explains then that the old guy in Germany was actually also Santa Claus. Uh It's just that at some point he passed it on to Toka or Toka passed it on to him. So anyway, Denji says, well, Santa Claus is coming to town. Hope he comes on a weekday because I get Sundays off. What does that mean? What does that mean? (laughs) That's like you've just been raised on one liners from action films, but you don't know what actually goes into a one liner. (laughs) Like you've just you just lit on fire and like throwing cars around and you just said the first words that came to your mind. and You didn't have time to think about them. (laughs) So. Santa's like, oh, I get it. You're you're just an idiot. <laughs> That's not quite what she says, but she says, it isn't that you are fearless. You simply lack the intelligence to comprehend the implications of what I just said. So let me explain again. Every single day, your family, your friends, even complete strangers, anyone you meet could turn into a doll and attack you. Can you imagine your life? constantly stalked by death and denji's like sure make me use my imagination dumb it down so even a mortal like me will understand that has nothing to do with you being immortal (laughs) and as he's sticking his tongue out at her tranchi comes up behind him and cuts his head off (laughs) and uh she is flanked by her two remaining girlfriends uh as the halloween uh spouting zombie girl uh has come up from wherever she was. And Tuanji just says, yeah, our truth is over. <laughs> you know, you did it out of order. You're supposed to say that and then attack. <laughs> Santa Claus vows to add Tuanji to her dolls one day. Tuanji just says, Cosmo, time to work. And the Halloween brain looking devil says, Halloween! And Tuanji says, this is your punishment for going sightseeing in Tokyo without us. Let her have a taste of an all-out Halloween. And uh, Santa Claus is like, Halloween? And <laughs> Halloween Devil Come on, girl. Nick. <laughs> what happens? <laughs> she charges up her Halloween ah, Kamehameha. No! <laughs> no! <laughs> so... Uh, People on Twitter and on our Discord server were saying that seemingly what happens is that the people who are affected by Halloween have to say it back to her after she says it to them. As there were a couple instances when Chuanchi was being introduced that people started going crazy and saying Halloween after they had replied to her saying Halloween by saying Halloween. Uh, That's probably what happens. But also it seems as though Cosmo might have just decided to unleash this wave of Halloween at her and maybe we're overthinking it. Anyway, she goes, Wayne! And Santa Claus, not in her puppet devil body, but in her human body, is in a library. And Halloween Devil Girl is at a desk looking very thoughtful with a bunch of books surrounding her and she says, Halloween. And so Santa Claus says, oh, I get it. You're in, we're inside your mind and you intend to use some kind of psychological attack on me. But it's useless. 
my mind is connected to dolls all over the world, so your attack will be meaningless as trying to dye the ocean red with a single drop of blood. Are you even capable of comprehending that? And Cosmo puts the book down and, and says in a normal voice, good evening. I don't believe I they Cosmos. say it in a normal voice. I believe they say it like Dr. Fraser Crane has played by. Good evening, Santa Claus. <laughs> I am the Cosmos fiend. Exactly. That is exactly There's the no need to be a sue on God. I hold no personal resentment toward you for the deaths of my companions. To hunt and be hunted is the natural course of our lives. I have no emotions powerful enough to drive me to protest the course of nature. The phenomenon that is about to occur to you is also nothing more than that natural course. Santa Claus says, well, what is that exactly? And Cosmos says, you are about to acquire total understanding of everything in the universe. And as soon as she said this, when I was first reading this chapter, I said, oh, fuck. <laughs> Because I've 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 seen the awful Indiana Jones film, <laughs> and also you know countless other you know examples of it in fiction. Yeah. Cosmo says you currently fancy yourself to have understood everything through the power of darkness, correct? But everything, as you understand it, doesn't even fill one page of one book of this library. All of the contents of all of the books in this library are about to flow into your mind. And this time you will truly come to understand everything. And Santa's like, what'll happen then? And Cosmo says, once you understand everything, you can only think of Halloween. And all of the books are titled Halloween as Santa Claus falls through this eternal library of Halloween, book a book by Cosmo. Written by Cosmo, illustrated by Cosmos, as Santa Claus starts going, and in the real world, her burning up body constantly starts chanting Halloween as everyone looks down at her burning, smoking corpse. But then, as if that weren't a fucking enough, (laughs) the smoke clears and the two remaining bodyguards, Yoshida and Kishibe, emerge. And Shuanchi pulls out her sword, but they just take out blindfolds and blindfold themselves. As Makima walks past them holding a sword. And as soon as she arrives, Shuanchi drops her sword. Her girlfriends hide behind her and she proclaims, We surrender. You can cut off all my limbs if you think I'll run. Just don't kill my women. I'll do anything to save their lives. Even lick your shoes. Cosmo says Halloween. And Makima says, a corpse is talking. Doesn't even give her, like, the satisfaction of, like, the field mice, country mice sort of, like, respect she leave gave Reze before she killed her. Just straight up. You're done talking. You're you're just a dead body at this point. And Chuan Chi and her two remaining girlfriends' heads fall off. And they start to bleed out as Makima looks down on them with a neutral in an insane way face on her on. And uh, 
there's a little bit of a moment where uh, Kishibe, even with his eyes blindfolded, kind of, you know, looks down on this opponent that he kind of shared a respectful conversation with in mid-battle, and he doesn't really say anything. Meanwhile, uh, there are puppets all over the place who are going, Halloween! 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 Uh, seemingly including the one remaining brother from the assassins because he's got the scars over his eye. yeah i must have been mistaken in my mind i thought that dude got transported to hell but i must have been i thinking back now i don't remember him being included in all the group shots there so yeah i don't know i mean he's he's there in public um and he doesn't do anything except for say halloween and i don't know if there was ever a shot where he said it that I just forgot about well, or what? It's worth knowing his his font is kind of different from everyone else's. He might be faking it. He's faking it. Yeah, just trying to blend in with the crowd. I don't know. But yeah, there there's all these people all over the place, uh, including the ones that are dolls, of course. And as the reporter proclaims, as you can see, there are people who have lost their ability to, see, to speak, save the word Halloween all over the world. Is it a devil? Is it a virus? Meanwhile, back next to... Chuanxi and her girlfriend's corpses, uh, Yoshida takes off his blindfold and he looks over at Kishibe and he says, aren't you going to take off your blindfold? And Kishibe just says, I don't want to see a thing. So. (laughs) That was awesome. (laughs) I cannot believe how much happened in this fucking chapter. Yeah, it's a lot. A lot happens there. Just the string of like, all right. So Twanchi chopped off Denchi's head. She beat the seemingly immortal puppet devil. And then as soon as this, you know, immortal defeating insanity took someone out, Makima shows up and just one move kills all of them without even blinking. So Makima's really being built up by all of this. And I'm really wondering where the hell this is all going because it really seems to be implying that Denji's on the wrong side of this war. But, uh, hey, I guess we'll fucking find out what the fuck's going on here. And, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk about the best chapter this week, Nick. Ah! <laughs> I promise everyone. <laughs> chapter it's the climax. To the human world. So... Emma meets up with Sonju and Mujika, and they're like, Mujika, Emma! And off-panel, they explain what happened, and, Mo- and Mujika's like, oh, your mom's dead, that sucks. But you're free now! Yay! <laughs> so, and they're like, thank you, you guys helped us, it's all because of you that we did this, and you know, and they're like, yeah, now you're now nobody will hunt you and your friends, and Mujika's like, yeah, thank you guys, because I met you, yay, everything worked out. And then Sanji's like, what about the promise? And Ray says, we'll implement it tonight. And uh, so, and Mujika's like, good, you know, let me see it through as a friend and as the queen. But where and how are you supposed to implement the promise? And Emma's like, ah, it's below Gracefield. Remember this thing? You know, yeah, we'll do this. Remember this thing that was below Goldie Bond? Yeah, so there's a thing beneath Gracefield and we'll go down here the same way. And then, uh, and then they're like, all right, good, good, good. Uh, so we're going to go here. I'll implement the promise. Then we can go to the world. Um, and they're like, are you going to go to the seven walls again? And I was like, no. And Phil says, what about the fact that he's going to want you to be his bitch? And Emma's like, don't worry. And they're like, well, you're not going to be forced to stay here, right? 
No, see, it's me and everyone here and all the children. Every, all of us are going to survive and, be left, and no one's going to be left behind. We'll all go to the human world. Then they're like, well, then what was the reward, you damn woman? Emma flashes back to the conversation she had with blah, and blah says the reward I want is your family. And it was like, ah, but your family is most important to you. See, so I want your family, but there's a problem because your family is going to the human world. That's part of the promise. So I can't have their, them. So what to do? What to do? I don't need any reward. From <laughs> I guess this one will just be on the house. Fuck this series! (laughs) Look, this could be a really cool moment in Promised Neverland. Because so much of the series, at least at the start, was kind of this this, this big, arduous challenge. And there, there were chapters where we did have to kind of suggest the idea that Emma has to really test her morals, you know? Is she not willing to kill people, even people, even soldiers that are hunting down her family, and she still is trying to keep to this pacifist view of life. Every life is precious. And with this whole ordeal to get to the queen and everything like that, and then having this this mysterious threat, this mysterious thread hanging over Emma's head the entire time, because we don't know what the promise was. And there's this bittersweetness to the idea that, like, while Emma's doing all of this, maybe her life is just forfeit at the end of it all. And then when you finally get the big reveal, there's finally one fucking gimme in this universe for these kids. Finally, something like a ball bounces into their court kind of thing, where the 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 figure that normally seems to almost like a cruel genie takes something from everybody finally wants nothing. That could have been a really satisfying moment, but because the last 20 chapters of the series has just been like sweeping up messes under the rug to be like, okay, nothing's left unsolved. It's so lame and unsatisfying. This is the, I mean, like the past several chapters, the past couple of months really have just been the most, eh, this will make it easy. Yeah. Um, you know, the entire reason why people get invested in these big, dire situations and these complicated plot threads and stuff is to see how the hell they can possibly be resolved. And so then for them to be for it to be said, like, oh, that part of it was actually really easy and was of no consequence whatsoever. It just it makes the entire thing feel hollow. And also, there was like Emma's dodginess regarding this subject up to this point. Like there was a point where she and Ray were racing to get back where it was like, what about the promise you had to make? What about the reward you had to offer? And she was like, ah, I'll tell you later. So she couldn't have just turned and said, oh, I didn't actually have to give him anything. He was really cool about it. it yeah. Like, oh, OK. Like, <laughs> you got to add this mystery. Anyone. There was no reason not to tell him it would have. It's not even like, oh, there's no time. She would have just literally just said like, oh, we didn't actually ask for anything. Like, and that you would, and you're like, I'll explain later. Like, it's, but because it's a story, you can't do that. Like, ugh, it's. Zach, I have a theory. What's that, Chris? When did Promise Neverland come out? It was what, four years ago? Uh, three and a half years three ago, years. basically. So, about three years ago, lightning struck in this apartment. <laughs> And a volume of jump from 10 years in the future popped out of a microwave. <laughs> and someone was like, this is an amazing series. And then like but seven months down the line, they act like someone threw out that microwave without that. Oh. Like, oh, I 
figure the rest out from here. <laughs> and that's the story of how the promised Neverland came into jump. So, you know, Ray and Norman are both just like, this is too good to be true. You know, Ray is like, this is no way that this is actually the promise, you know. And Norman's like, look, if the deal is you have to sacrifice yourself, then we will stay here with you. And all the people are like, yeah, we'll do it. And it was like, no, no, it's fine. And no, it's fine. But, you know, listen, guys, you know, the farms are gone. Mojo is queen. Because, and, the, you know, no one can govern the appetite of the citizens because the demons eating humans isn't a sin or a crime. Yes, it is. We should disappear into the human world as soon as possible. So I'm not being sacrificed. Not just me. Nobody else either. And Ray's still like, that still doesn't make sense. And, <laughs> and she's like, no, see, I thought about that. You see, maybe the human world isn't peaceful. And even if it is, there's still a lot we have to worry about. Will they accept us? <laughs> what about the seizures Norman and the others had? Future may not always be bright. Maybe that's why there was no reward. But even so, I want to implement this promise and go to the human world with everyone. Because I know I can get over any worries or challenges as long as I'm with you guys. And we can work to create a brighter future. And everyone held his hands and they go off, yay. And then and, and, and he's like, yeah, ready? Yeah, we're ready. And they get transported. And, Ooh, Escher. Uh, bye, Mujka. Bye, Sanju. Bye. We're at the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> so here's the thing. Um, <laughs> the whole like speech, like, hey, you know what? I know where we're going may not be great. It, it may not be easy, but I guarantee we can get over any worries or challenges together. And Emma's going to fucking transport herself over to this world where we already established coronavirus and racism and all of the problems of the actual world are around. It's such a it's such a bad idea to be like, it's our world. <laughs> it's, it's, no, why would you do this? Like, Emma, you fixed this world. It would be good for you here. I want her to show up. Like, and the like, entire point, their powerful point of them going to the other world was to escape from the demons who want to eat them. And now there are literally governments in place saying, yeah, we won't do that anymore. So, like, <laughs> like, I want the next chapter to be immediately her, like, with Donald Trump. Like, it's Emma and Donald Trump at the White House. Get out of here, you dirty other world. Well, no, because it won't work like that. That's not a promise Neverland work. It's going to be him being like, huh, I guess I never thought of empathy before. I guess you're right. I'll be kind to everyone now. <laughs> and then Trump, no, and, Trump and Emma will high-five each other and don't stop believing we'll start playing as the credits roll. No, what'll actually happen is that Donald Trump will be will she, Emma will come in and they'll, they'll be like instant celebrities because they're people who appear from other world and Trump will be like I don't trust her they're they're awful they cause all the things that have been happening that are bad for America but then a random nameless demon will show up and try to attack them all and Trump will be like no and he'll stab <laughs> through the stomach and he'll be like if the truth is I actually cared about you all redeem <laughs> the truth is I've envied all of you <laughs> I'm the weak person in all of this <laughs> <laughs> this final shot, the final shot of the promise Neverland, will be Emma holding her newborn baby, looking up to a statue of Peter, Rotary, Isabella, and Donald Trump. 
and like all oh, their force ghosts appear next to her. <laughs> they all force ghosted and not approvingly. <laughs> oh right. fuck, man! I wish that was the way it was actually to go. All right, uh, let's talk about Black Clover then, Nick. Uh, page two fifty one, the curse devil. So, uh, Gaja actually got involved. We said there was one more dude, and Gaja just showed up and beat him. So we don't have to deal with that one right now, <laughs> or will we? Uh, because basically, like Laura Pachika is looking around, she's like, "Ah, the Dark Disciples have all been beaten. They did it." Um, but then who should break in? But Verica. Actually, the person who breaks in is a man with a very long tongue. He must have some kind of tongue magic and he can eat things. And he's I'm like, a character from a hero series! Yeah, he's like, oh, I can feel it! The magic of hot young goils! Um, but Mimosa stops him with some plant magic, knocks him out. And then Vanica shows up and she's she's like, ooh, Nora Pachika, sweetie! And she struts in. She's like, last time I only cursed you for Mechakula and then went home. But today, let's have as much fun as we want. And uh, she's like, if you were here for all this, why have you been attacking the Heart Kingdom in places where people live? She's like, ooh, because I figured it, you'd be more into the fight than this way. And I think it's Noel who's like, hey, we've dealt with all your henchmen. You're the only one who's left. You better be ready for this. And she's like, oh, no. You didn't deal with them. And we see Tongue Guy gets up and he's like, ah, that felt good. And uh, there's a whole bunch of like, she kicks him in the face joke. Uh, but we also cut over and see that all of the other characters that were beaten over the last three chapters are getting up as well. And apparently they cannot be defeated. Uh, there's a joke that they're all saying stupid shit and Laura, like, when it cuts over, Vanica's like, they're all spouting random nonsense, are they? It's like, yeah, because you're blindly and boringly evil. <laughs> <laughs> and then we cut over, Vanica's like, yep, they're gonna keep coming back, uh, because until you take me down, they won't stay down. They're gonna keep coming back. So It's like that one level in Star Fox 64, mm-hmm. where there are all the fighters patrolling the satellite, yep. and they're not very powerful, but they're shielded. So you've got to destroy the main shield uh, in order to proceed to the next phase, So and then you can actually shoot the fighters down. But then Star Wolf shows up! <gasps> Fucking Star Wolf! That sexy bastard! <laughs> um, this is one of those moments, too, where you're like, Man, Black Clover is just a different series when Asta is not involved. Because this would have been, if Asta was involved, a big moment, and then Asta would have cut him with the sword. He's like, I negated your resurrection magic, and I beat them. <laughs> and you're like, oh, wow. You really just stop problems before they start, don't you? Uh, the, pe- the the chapter ends with uh, Noel, Laura Pachika, and, and Mimosa be like, all right, you're going down. And I should have also noted the uh, the other characters who defeated those three are also like they're they're excited they get to keep on fighting yeah that's it that's chapter yeah I didn't like this chapter um, not necessarily the chapter itself but there is uh, some awkward dialogue and exposition in it like uh. people just saying things and you know like every time that someone gets up it's like my gimmick. Um, also when Laura Peshka is celebrating at the very beginning of the chapter she says they beat opponents who were stronger than they were 
No, they didn't. <laughs> you just misjudged their strength. <laughs> um, and then it turns out, of course, also that the multiple fights that we had previously, it turns out all those fights don't matter uh, because all that matters is beating this one girl. So, yeah, like I assume we're not actually going to cut to those other fights other than like cameos, essentially, because there's nothing to show. Like those fights right. all serve the purpose to show off Leo, Locke and, and Charmy. There's no reason to cut back to them, but it is kind of a boring thing to be like. They have to wake up because there needs to, like it's it's sort of like a weird way it's all phrased. I guess the big thing would be like the dude who's in the room with her, and that's why they're like we have to take actually take her down because we can't just beat up that guy. He'll just keep coming back because otherwise they're like why even bother? It's not like those characters are going to magically teleport into the room. Like we haven't established anyone has teleportation powers around here, so. Mm-hmm. But whatever, it's it's something I don't hate it, but it definitely is like kind of boring. Uh, and again, we're not cutting back to the fight that was more interesting. We're going to continue down this line of the Heart Kingdom stuff. Yeah. All right. One Piece, chapter 980, fighting music. Nick. Uh if you were going to be a boxer, what entrance theme would you come out to? Oh, I actually, I actually know the uh, the entr- the answer Ooh. to this. So there is a group called. Hang on a second. Um, there's a group called Therian, uh, who are like this metal group, but there was this one um, orchestral concert that they put on at some point. So they did like metalized covers of these, but with like a full orchestra playing with them of these assorted classical songs. And one of them was uh, uh, Dvorak's uh, uh, Symphony Number no. Nine. So you know it's like the so that would be my entrance uh, music if I were anyone. So all right, I like that. Do you have an answer? Uh, it's raining men. <laughs> well, in no a way, one would mistake you for anyone else. People would just be like, "Why did Walter? Get, why did Walter get shrunk and grow a stupid goatee?" <laughs> <gasps> it, uh, it reminds me. I, I I I want. Um, did you watch the the Tyson Fury uh, versus? No. I, I forget the dude who's. <laughs> I forget the dude who's fighting. He had like another name, Wilder. Um. And if you watch the Wilder entrance, it's such a, like, hot-dogging entrance, where it's this whole thing, like, the guy comes out, looks like a fucking stand, like, he's got this big stupid armor set on, as he's got, like, uh, like, his, I don't know if it's his personal rapper or rapper he knows doing this whole thing, like, Black Power, Black Speed, Black Speed, like, a whole, whole, got a whole fucking song for him. And then he goes into the ring to just get his shit pushed in. And like the, the yeah. joke afterwards, he's like, ah, the suit was too heavy. I want to just do that. I I want to live the Rocky Four dream where I just come out with as much extravagance and hot doggedness as possible. Just over the top. I really just want to like just overdo it in every single way. So I, I, I need something that is just the most all pomp, no circumstance. That's what I that's the kind of song I need. There was this one uh, girl who did an MMA thing and I think Korea relatively recently where she came out to like smooth criminal and it was this like highly choreographed entrance. She lost the fight, but from my understanding, it was actually like a really well fought out and both women were like really emotional afterwards because I can't remember 
there was something that had happened like immediately beforehand that had happened like personally to one of them, like someone very close to them had died or something like that. So, but you know, it was not the, you know, whole, like I did a cool entrance and then I got my shit, the shit beat <laughs> out of me. So, but yeah, you wanted, you, you want the Apollo Creed basically. Yeah. I, I want exactly that. <laughs> All right. Fighting music. I was I think I was actually going to ask you a question related to fighting music. So, yeah, um, Luffy got pissed off because he saw a bunch of Kaido's men wasting Oshiruko. So he immediately loses his cool at the start of this chapter, summons his elephant gun and bunches a bunch of them. <laughs> so, yeah, covers getting blown. It seems a fight breaks out. So at first I was like, maybe they'll just brawl for a little bit and Luffy's cover won't be blown immediately. Uh, no, we cut over to kid, uh, and he's like, what the fuck does that guy think he's doing? And, uh, so they ask him like, should we do something about that? And he's like, no, that distraction makes it easier for us to get around. Uh, and then they realize, wait a minute, there's a crack running through the entire balcony as Zoro has seen the commotion and decided to cut off the, the, the entire upper half of the building that they're in. And Zoro's like emerges over the cutoff part of the building. And he's like, oh, man, Luffy, you just had to cause a scene. I heard the noise in the distance and walked straight over here. What a mess you've made of things. Why can't you behave and infiltrate like a normal person <laughs> while he's standing on top of this cut open building with his swords out? <laughs> uh, so Luffy just explains himself by saying they spilled the Oshiruka on the ground on purpose. And Zoro's me like. Well, then the guy gets sliced. Yeah, that's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they, they're immediately like, all right, let's fight these assholes. Queen is immediately alerted to what is going on. And uh, so they're like, what the hell is going on? What What, what is happening? Uh, and Scratch uh, Apu is his name? Yep, Scratch Apu. Uh, Scratch Men Apu, I think, maybe. It's Apu. Apu is like, wait a minute. That's that's clearly Luffy. What the fuck is he doing here? I thought he was in prison. Um, everyone decides to go after Zoro. Luffy is like, oh, we should run. And they start to run. Um, Apu calls up to uh, Queen and says, hey, I know you're in charge of Udon, but it seems that they might have got loose because that's Luffy and Zoro over there. Uh, so they're like, oh, what should we get for... Where are you going to offer me if we catch them? So Queen thinks about that, and he thinks about the report that he got that, of course, was false. And he's like, all right, there's a fun golden festival happening tonight, everyone. As it happens, I got someone I want to race right now. I'll get rid of one of the Toby Rappo and create an open seat. And so it was like, oh, awesome. If we get this, we get that much of a reward. That's awesome. Uh, except that there are some people who are just like, there is no way we're going to be able to do this. So we're just going to get drunk instead, <laughs> which I have to appreciate. Like, That's Straw Hat Luffy and Pirate Hunter Zoro. I'm sitting right here and getting drunk. <laughs> I, I, I do like there's a little tease as well, that there's specifically someone he wants out of the Toby Rapo. Yeah. The, the immediate idea would be that it's Drake. That's the one with all of the buildup. But they've also kind of teased some other stuff as well with like who's who and Sasaki last week that mm -hmm. maybe there's some more. And I, I do like that. Like, it's like, Hey, we're going to start having some character relationship with these guys. Yeah. Well, you know, when your organization is built around internal competition and fighting every way you can in order to ascend the ranks, then yeah, a little bit of resentment is going to come up. Uh, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to see people you don't like getting road and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, so, 
people are chasing after Zoro and Luffy. They're trying to think about like, all right, Kaido's castle is probably right over there. So let's, you know, get these people out here and get inside of it. But before they can make any progress, Apu uh, takes the stage and he starts playing his teeth, the keyboard teeth that he has and slamming his chest and flexing his lips and stuff and making all sorts of instrument noises. And he says, this is fighting music. And he and he goes, scratch, bop. And Luffy gets punched in the face by sound <laughs> and he falls on his ass. And they're like, wait a minute, isn't that the guy who, and Zoro realized, wait a minute, that was the guy that was in an alliance with uh, with Kid. Luffy wants to know how he got punched. Apu declares, slash! And a slash mark appears across Zoro's chest. So, it's a command-based attack, basically. So... It's interesting because we, as an audience, know that this is how he fights. We saw this back in the Archipelago arc when the Kazaru showed up. He did show this off, but Zoro, like no one from the Straw Hats, I believe, were around when that happened. Because that was when he was just kind of chasing down the different supernovas. So we did see that he had some kind of musical-based attack. He did a bunch of stuff and then something exploded. So it's kind of cool seeing like this developed. I know some people were kind of upset that they're like, I don't feel like Luffy and Zoro should be getting surprised by this stuff, but it literally is something where it's like it, it they're not able to predict it because it, it doesn't make sense. It's like a JoJo fight almost. Yeah. And Apu declares, boom, and Luffy explodes. <laughs> so Luffy is knocked unconscious like immediately. So Zoro's like, all right, we're running. And he picks up <laughs> Luffy and he starts to book it. Um, and he realizes like, yeah, this is bad. You know, if I mean, if we try and fight our way through this, then we're going to get two damage before we can even fight Kaido. Uh, and it's not just that we're so clearly outnumbered. They have skill as well. Uh, and of course, they do eventually, you know, get encircled and have to fight their way through some people. There is a funny little moment where like someone with like a wolf smile fruit uh, tries to jump in and Luffy just while he's still being carried, launches his head out and chomps his mouth over its jaws. <laughs> Uh, so Luffy's back up in there. They've got to, you know, start finding their way out. Uh, but Apu declares, you're still in my firing range. Let's see how you like my subwoofer. Uh, then we cut over as various swords and metal objects are being picked up into the air. And people are like, no, kid, stop. Uh, and kid's like, I don't care. That traitor over there is how this all got started. Eat this, Apu. And he's got this giant hand of various metal implements. And Apu is taken by surprise. And Kid unleashes his punk Gibson and just smashes him into the wall. And that's where the chapter ends. So Kid remembers what I don't, which is that they used to have an alliance. (laughs) (laughs) I do like it. I also like that this apparently... I, I, I wonder who did it because i don't know if it's odo or one of his assistants they actually drew one of the new pokemon meltan into yeah. the attack in a couple locations so it's like are do pokemon exist in one piece sure why not uh but I, I i just love it. it's such a goofy chapter i love the the punk gibson like i don't know what that name is meant to really embody but it's such a cool fucking name and i, I do like mm. getting involved the gibson guitar mm. probably that makes sense yeah all right, so we had some good manga this week. As I said, I think the best ones were like, oh, wow, bummer at the end. So, <laughs> But um, let's talk about that. Favorite series and MVP? 
Uh, favorite series are going to get to Mashal. I just I, I thought it was legitimately a very funny chapter. Um, just something where like if you can get that kind of reaction, like it made my week better. Like that's the kind of chapter it was where you're like, fuck, all right, you know what? You lifted my mood this Saturday or this Sunday, so I'm going to give it to you. Uh, I'm going to split my choices between what I felt were the two best series this week, My Hero and uh, Chainsaw. So I'm giving the best series to My Hero Academia because it was more of just like a thing is happening and characters are reacting to it. And I'm giving best uh, my MVP to Cosmos because, you know, obviously the big Halloween thing was the main thing in this week's chapter. Uh, I'm going to give my character... To Chainsaw Man as well, but I'm I'm gonna give it to Makima. That was that was the, that's what I'm gonna pick out more from that chapter for me. It's just uh, another a corpse is talking. It's that's such, such a, a good cor- line. It's so good. Yeah, that was just like, I mean, the one with Ray's like made you feel bad because you would you know gotten to know her and that she really was probably getting closer to Denji and she and you know Makima was just protecting her investment. That one was just like someone was literally begging for their life and, or even like begging for not even her own life. And she was just like, Nope, Nope. Fuck you. So just heartless as can be, uh, the audience, by the way, pick chainsaw man as their chapter of the week. And they agreed with you with Cosmo as the MVP. I should note that's as the time that I'm saying this literally while the episode is being recorded, the votes changed. Cause I know at one point, uh, time paradox ghost rider was also part of the audience's chapter of the week so sometimes you when you hear people talk about it you change your mind about chapters so yeah. <laughs> that happens to us all the time all right that's gonna do it everyone so we want to thank you for joining us for weekly manga recap this week we record the show usually sometime between seven and eight eastern time on wednesdays here on twitch.tv slash you can check our past episodes on smack uh you can also follow us on twitter for updates at the memoir podcast is the official podcast account at rollo and at nick f time are your hosts you can join our Discord server. From there, you can provide us with feedback. You can ask us questions for future Q&A episodes. You can get access to the Google Doc that has all sorts of different statistics and information on it. They'll let you know what kind of stuff we've looked at, what we're going to look at in the future. And, of course, keep track of you know our favorites week to week and also the audience's favorites week to week, which you can participate in that way. Special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. You allow us great bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Special thanks to Steam and our tile cast. NGX3i for maintaining said previously mentioned Google Docs sheet. Infamous Planet for the frame for the stream of the podcast. And Milo Jack Stillitz and Winslow Cheddar for the opening sequence of Week Manga Recap. That's going to do it, everyone. That's going to do it. Let's head off, Nick. Okay. All right. Let's goodbye. do that. Bye. Later. Bye.